Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast. As always, this is David uh, back here in Memphis with uh, Chris. Chris, you've had three weeks off. I've had two weeks off, so good to see you. Hello, hello. Good to see you as well, buddy. Nice little, uh, nice little summer uh, break we had. Before we get started, as always, I do want to do a little housekeeping. Uh, tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at Digital Kill and Instagram at Digital Kill the Radio Star and subscribe to us via iTunes. And uh, if you could, please leave us a, a review and rate us on iTunes. That'll help us uh, with getting exposure and some things that we want to do in the future and uh, kind of close to uh, coming to pass. So this is a podcast that uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, as Chris and I have talked numerous times, it was uh, you know music of the late 80s, early 90s, hard rock, hair metal, glam, whatever you want to call it, that really uh, was kind of the first thing to make us love music. And so... Um, this is one we've been looking forward to uh, to doing for you guys, and it's going to go ahead and warn you, it's going to be a long podcast, so if you have to break it up and listen to it uh, over a couple of days, that's fine. So Chris and I have a friend by the name of Caton Brooks, who, uh, as I texted him the other night, uh, this guy, just this genre of music, he knows as much or more than Eddie Trunk, and I, I'll, I'll stand behind that claim and uh, if anybody wants to challenge him, they can. But I, I feel very confident that uh, he would uh, prove me right on that. So uh, we're all big fans, like I said, of, of the music of the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, so this podcast is just going to be about that. Uh, it's our Can fan. I interrupt real quick? Yeah. It's not just late 80s, early 90s. Let's just say this is this is hair bands. This is yeah. glam metal. Yeah. You know, this is... It's not all '80s. This is just this is the stuff that we kind of grew up on, and we're talking about what made us music fans. This is our gateway drug, right? Yeah, this is this is our gateway drug. So we're just gonna say it's our favorite uh, glam slash hair metal bands. However, you want to uh, uh, put a name on it, and you know that's kind of what's most commonly used in the press. So Caton was kind enough to join us uh, this week, and uh, we're gonna talk about. Just our favorite albums of that genre. So before we get going, Caton, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here, and I appreciate you guys letting me uh, sit in this week. I was uh, extremely excited. It doesn't take too much to get me fired up to talk about this topic. So when uh, when David mentioned it to me, I uh, immediately went into uh, to prep mode for it. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Yeah, his notes look like that of a serial killer. I'm looking at them right now. I mean, they're pretty detailed, precise. Uh, this should be fun. Right. I've got a uh, page of 20 albums written down. That's it. And it looks like he's trying to uh, solve the theory of relativity. Of well, and, you, and you, do, you do notice from my notes that I'm using a poison green highlighter. <laughs> nice. That is, that is intentional, guys. Well, uh, so this one is this episode probably won't be as uh, professional as, uh, well, not really professional, but this is going to be a lot more laid back and random than uh, the ones Chris and I normally do because uh, Caton's really going to be the star of this one. Uh, he, uh, like I said, his knowledge on this music is just, nobody's going to beat it. So, Caton, uh, every time we have somebody new on the podcast, I ask them two questions. The first one is, what's your earliest memory of music, and what is the artist and or band that really sucked you in into a uh, lifetime of uh, music loving? Yeah, you know, funny, uh, if that's, a, that's a funny question and an interesting question. I mean, probably my... My earliest memory of music before I was obsessed with music, you know, because that's so much of my life, I've just been such a music junkie. My earliest memory, though, probably leading into that was, oddly enough, my parents t- 
taking my sister and me um, to see Whitney Houston in her heyday. So, I mean, this was probably 85, mm-hmm. and it was in, uh, I think, Jackson, Mississippi. And I don't know if maybe perhaps my older sister wanted to go, but that, that's one of my early earlier memories, to be honest with you, of going to a concert in, in, in music. Um, and, you know, as far as the bands that sucked me in, it was definitely metal. It was definitely hair metal. I mean, that's where I... That's where I kind of got, uh, you know, obsessed with music. And probably, I would say, two bands. I would probably say uh, Striper, and I would probably say Early Motley Crue. I mean, I can remember being, you know, 12 and 13 years old and seeing the cover of Shout at the Devil and being both uh, scared to death and also just infatuated with it. I mean, I just, I was just... uh, I, I couldn't get enough. I probably went through three or four of those albums, uh, cassettes, because my mom would find them and toss them away. So Striper and Motley Crue. So could you find any any two uh, bigger contrasts there? I'm not sure. So if your mom found the uh, Motley Crue Shout at the Devil album, could you like, I've got Striper here to balance it yeah, out. Kinda, that's right. That's right. Good, good, good and evil, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah definitely. I was thinking the same thing, good and evil. Yeah. Well, uh like I said, me, Chris, and Kate have all known each other 20-plus years, and uh, what we're going to do today is pretty much just a normal extension of how we are when we get around one another. So what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about some of our favorite albums of, uh, of this genre. And so, uh, Kate, since uh, you're our guest, we'll let you lead it off. Let's, let's specify, though. I'm going to jump in. Let's make this clear to people. These are not rankings whatsoever. So, Kate's number 20. For all we know, it could be number four of his right. of his rankings. And, and I do want to say this is uh, we're all gonna at least I am I'm gonna list some albums that I do not think necessarily fall into this genre. They're kind of in a gray area, but uh, the average public and unfortunately most music critics would probably agree that they are. So, Absolutely. But we all have different criteria that we use. There's no wrong choices. Uh, so anyway, uh, Caton, we're gonna pass it to you and let you start us off. All right, all right, very cool. So again, as Chris said, no, no particular order because I, I literally think that would be an impossible task for me. Um, I'm going to start it off. The first, the first album that I chose is uh, Faster Pussycat, their debut album. So uh, Electra Records came out in 1987, July 8th, 1987, and uh, this album is, in my opinion, just insanity top to bottom. You know, Faster Pussycat. Um, to me, wasn't just hair metal or glam metal. I mean, they were almost kind of a subgenre, you know, sleaze metal. I mean, they were New York Dolls esque to me um, in their vibe and the sleazy look. I love the sound of their music as much as I love their look. Just the dirty from the streets, sleazy look. I thought Tammy Down's vocals were the perfect blend with the rasp and the kind of the whiny tone. I thought every ingredient in the recipe of this album was literally perfection. Um, some of the standouts to me, um, you know, you, you've kind of got the notable few, uh, Bathroom Wall, but some of the standouts to me were Smash Alley. I mean, any song that has the lyric, Lipstick Junkies and Runaways, I mean, that's over with. That's a killer song right there to me. So Smash Alley, No Room for Emotion, Shooting You Down. I, I thought that the opening riff of Shooting You Down and Throughout, I would put that up there with anything in the glam rock era. It was a very simple riff, but it the tone was perfect, and it just it just worked. Um, it was, uh, 
you know, Faster Pussycat didn't really peak until their second album. This this album, their debut album, didn't even go gold. Um, but it was an incredible album. They did a run of dates with Guns N' Roses in the in Europe, opening up for them. And uh, this album actually came out just a few weeks, two weeks shy of Appetite for Destruction. So I was actually doing some reading, to be honest with you, thinking about this, and I, I found two two different two different uh, articles or or uh, music critics, and they talked about when this album came out, how kind of the critics and Guns N' Roses' Appetite came out shortly after, how the view was literally this is anybody's ball game. Like one of these bands is going to take it and literally turn this upside down. And uh, I, I personally think it just kind of, you know, it was Guns N' Roses day. But I, I, I think if the tides had been slightly different, it could have just as easily been Faster Pussycat. This is one of my favorite albums, top to bottom. Uh, I love it. Faster Pussycat debut album. Well, where do I begin? I didn't think we would start with this one. Um, I'm glad we did. This is, uh, Kate knows this is my favorite glam band. And he hit on some things that I would definitely, I would have said myself. The New York Dolls, first of all, yes. A lot of people thought that they were kind of like the New York Dolls of the 80s of the, of the West Coast. There were a lot of similarities. Um, a lot of people think they should have stuck with that, that recipe that they had on the first album because they ended up changing a bit their sound. But that first album, it is, and I happen to be a very big fan of the New York Dolls. It is similar. It's um, there's nothing flashy about this record. It's it's straight up glam in the way that New York New York Dolls were glam. I just and what he's talking about about Guns N' Roses. Yes, they were people. People thought that they could be as big as Guns N' Roses. I mean, this album is just glam rock perfection. I mean, I think of when I think of. Um, the epitome of glam rock it's these guys it's uh it's la guns it's the the dirty sleaze rock and this album is where he, he mentioned a few of the songs uh i agree completely with shooting you down city has no heart ship rolls in this is my cassette tape of this when i, I had it when i was a kid we've, we've all been there where you play it so much and you handle it so much the song titles remove off of the cassette that was this for me. I mean, this, I wore this out. Um, again, probably my favorite glam band. I could go on on and on and on about them, but I love this album. And still uh, still touring, and the, the kind of the rap, rap that I always hear on, on hear about them live is, uh, it's a roll of the dice what you're going to get. Uh, sometimes, they, you know, I've, I heard somebody the other day say, you can see them one night and think they're the greatest band in the world, and you see them the next night and it's just just off. But you're right; they they are one of the ones that uh, kind of you know is the epitome of of you know glam. And the first album didn't really have the hit on it like uh, "Wake Was It Wake Me When It's Over." The second one, the ballad. I was listening on the way up here. I was listening to "Bathroom Wall," and one of the things I've always thought about this neat about that song before the verse starts. You know, there's kind of an extended guitar solo. And it almost sounds like something out of the '50s. <laughs> that opening, uh, opening. I don't know. That's always uh, that's always stood out to me. So uh, yeah, I know y'all are both huge fans of uh, Faster Pussycat. Kate, do you have anything else you want to add about them? You know, the or? only other thing I would say, just 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 a just kind of a fun fact, perhaps, um, is you know you hear a lot about the uh, 
um, you know, glam or hair metal, you know, genre producers. And, you know, a lot of people will think about Michael Wagner or Tom Wehrman. But, um, you know, the, the and I, I kind of don't think there's a coincidence here. Um, you know, the name Rick, Rick Brode, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I kind of had to refresh myself on, on that name. But that's the gentleman that produced this album, and I don't, I'm not sure if it's happenstance. Do you know what else debut album he produced and was behind the board for? That would be Poison, Look What the Cat Dragged In. Oh, nice. So two, clearly, you know, if that doesn't show up on our list coming two up, I'll five. be shocked. Yeah, and, and, and he was behind both of them and, and didn't, didn't do a whole lot other than that. Um, so... Kind of a maybe a fun fact, and, and I do want to say too, where you know, Kate and I, in particular, we we see a lot of these when they come around, or these we've seen so many of these bands over the years, and sometimes Recently, yeah, I sometimes mean, it comes off as a bit sad. It doesn't with Fashion Pussycat. These guys are living like it's 1987, and they're on the Sunset Strip. Oh, they're still living it, absolutely. I mean, they and the I don't rough lifestyle. It, it to me, it it seems sad when you see certain bands because it's like watching the Anvil documentary, not with Faster Pussycat. They are acting like they are rolling into the LA Forum, and they're partying, and they seem like they're having the times of their lives, and it comes off on stage. You may not get the most perfection in a show. But you're going to get a band having fun, and it comes off. Well, I've always heard Tammy Down referred to as the unofficial mayor of the Sunset Strip. <laughs> he and Ricky Rackman. Yeah. They, you know, yeah, he, those two. All right, well, i tell you what. Since I'll go with my um, – I'm going to go with this one just because it may be too soon to bring this one up, but because it was already referenced once. I think it, now's a good segue. Talking about the producers. Let's just go with it. Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. This album, I said this, I referred to Poison or as hair metal as my gateway drug to music. And I think we probably all share that feeling. Um, well, this band was my gateway to hair metal. I mean, I still remember back when that video, when it first came out, Talk Dirty to Me. I mean, that song grabbed me like no other. And for the next what, five, six years of my life, I wasn't the diverse guy that I am now that you've heard me talk about on these different podcasts. You know, I wasn't the guy that was, I sure didn't know who television was. Television was the one that was playing the Poison videos to me. Um, I just think this album is, it is like a perfect glam 101. You know, talk dirty to me. The ballad, I won't forget you, is just perfect glam Perfect glam ballad. Um, Cry Tough. I love that one. Um, I was always a big fan of a Want Some, Need Some. There's just, there's so many good ones on this. And I'm not going to take up too much time because I think I would be really naive if I thought that this wasn't on each and every one of our list. So I need to give time for everybody else. So why don't you take it, David? Well, I will will, uh, concur with you that that's a great album. And I think the first two... uh, I guess uh, albums of uh, this genre that I owned were uh, this and Bon Jovi uh, Slippery When Wet Um, and they came out um, around the same time actually yeah I I love this album I I wore it out uh, when it came out I was see this came out I'm holding Caton's a big vinyl collector and he has a lot of the vinyl of of these albums that we're talking about yeah this came out in 86 and um 
of course, I had that and, um, you know, I have all their albums. And I, I find myself, and I know, I don't know, I don't know if I've talked about this with Kate, and I know Chris and I have talked about it. I kind of have a love hate relationship with this band. Like, this is always going to be the band that I look back on and, and be like, you know, man, they were the ones that, you know, really, uh, really grabbed me and sucked me in. But then I find, uh, you know, I find so many faults with this band, especially with, you know, Chris and I complained to each other about their set list and, you know, uh, about, you know, some of the, the, the playing on some of the albums, but I saw them a couple of weeks ago and when they hit the stage, all that goes out the window and I'm, I'm 11 years old. And, and, you know, since he talked about, look, the cat dragged in, let's just open it up because I have, uh, open up and say, ah, on my list. I have, uh, flesh and blood on my list and I have native tongue on my list. I tell you, I could have had all three of those, David. Uh, easily all four of those but before you jump if you mm-hmm. don't mind just yeah. before you jump off look what the cat dragged in uh, just a few things I want to say um, because I, I I agree with Chris I mean I this 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 you know I almost you know we started the show by saying these are in no particular order you know maybe my first two somewhat were in order faster pussycat you know debut album and then I would have followed that with poison look what the cat dragged in I mean I, I I'm not sure. Um, on any given day, I would rank anything higher than that. A couple things, you know, on that. Um, you know, we talked about that that producer that, oddly enough, both of these albums share, in my view, such a raw, almost demo-type uh, characteristic to them. In fact, I was reading, Brett Michaels has said before that Look What the Cat Dragged In was recorded in 12 days for just over $20,000. And he has said, quote, that this was, that look what the cat dragged in was simply a glorified demo. That is what I absolutely love about the sound quality of that album. Faster Pussycat's debut is the same way. It does sound like it was recorded in somebody's garage, you know, uh, and I love that. It, It sounded like it was from the streets. It sounded like it was sleazy. It sounded, you know, so, um, yeah, look what the cat dragged in. There's, there's, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many good things I could say about that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the production value on that one because probably a year after this comes out, from there on out, just about everybody that comes out their debut album sound great because there's so much money being thrown to anybody mm-hmm. that they sign. You know, I'm, I guarantee you that Warrant's debut album had a lot higher budget than, um, you know, look what sure. the cat dragged in. And I've heard, I think it was Ricky Rocket said that they really consider Open Up Say Ah to be their first full band album. <clears throat> Which, uh, right? op- Open Up and Say Ah, I mean, I'm sure we all uh, love that one. I, that one came out and, you know, took them to the next level, of course, with uh, Nothing But a Good Time and uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn and Fallen Angel. And then a song that if I never hear it again, I'll be happy is uh, Your, Your Mama Don't Dance. I cannot stand <laughs> Stand that song, but loved it when I was a kid. But I guess you know I'm, I'm kind of I can I can feel I, I don't hate it, but I can feel your pain on that one. Yeah, and I actually um, I remember I bought that album at the Metro Center in Jackson, Mississippi, and I got one of the ones before they pulled it because of the album cover. Nice the cassette. I had the cassette, and uh, I, I love open up and say ah. Uh, to me, some of the uh, more obscure tracks on there are really good, like Rocking Horse and, and Love on the Rocks, things that you're never going to see them yeah, play. Tearing Down the Walls. Tearing Down the Walls yep. is great. I mean, my, my, my three favorite from that album, 
probably are Love on the Rocks. Yeah, I was going to be the next good, one Bad to be good. Are you kidding me? And tearing down the walls. Screaming, scratching, tearing down the walls. How they can even fathom not playing some of those now really surprises me. I understand playing the hits, and that's right. generally what they focus on now. You right. said you saw them recently. Yeah, everything was a single. You know, do one or two deep cuts because I, I, I would probably venture to guess – 75% of the people that are there probably only know the, 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 the massive hits, but you've got another 25% that you could dedicate one or two that songs come to see a you night to. Correct. Well, see, here's what always been my argument is. If you go to see them, they will play, they always want to play a terrible version of a pretty terrible song, in my opinion. Sorry, Kiss fans, but rock and roll all night's just not that great of a tune. They always want to play that. They'll always play one or two other cover songs. Instead of the covers... Save those two or three for Love on the Rocks, tearing down the walls. You know, Life um, loves a tragedy. Oh, God. I mean, that may be the... I mean, after Talk Dirty to Me, that could be the best Poison song. Right. I mean... But yeah, I, I just wish I wish they would do that, but... I, I tell you what, while we're on Poison, let's go ahead and knock out the other two. Keep albums. them going. Because uh, if we were having to rank, them, uh, rank my favorite albums, Flesh and Blood would be one or two for me as far as... Uh, albums from from that time frame i think this is a sweet spot for them it, it's they're they're going toward a little bit more serious lyrics that they eventually would go to on native tongue but then it's still you still had the party anthems like unskinny bop and you know but like standout tracks to me are uh, valley of lost souls let it mm. play don't give up an inch life loves a tragedy yeah. the ballad life goes on that's, that's, it's one of the best ballads he did. Yeah, and and I, and I yeah. think that's CC. You know, he gets he gets crapped on and by a lot of people as a player, and and I'm one of those people. But I love his playing on that song. His solo is great. Yeah, I mean it. It really is great on that one. And that was who was it? Y'all remind me. He had lost somebody. Was it was it that manager that they did? Somebody they lost. Well, and something he, to, to believe in. in. It was his yeah. bodyguard. But, but no. But they were. But the. Life goes on. Cece had lost somebody. I didn't know. I that. don't know who it was, and and I because I've heard Brett talk about it, how all that came out of him that solo when he was writing it, just because of the pain that he was in. Yeah, I I, I would say, I and mean, I, I I truly don't even have to think about it. Um, I would say that uh, hands down, I'm just I'm thinking on this to to make sure I can back it up. But yeah. Life's lo- Life Loves a Tragedy is my favorite Poison track, period. End, well, of, end of And story. I don't think it's ever been played a lot. Life I put it Loves as number a Tragedy. Two. The intro to that, and then when it kicks in, to this, from the first time I heard it when I was, what, 13, 12, 13, 14 years old until now, I, literally when it goes from soft to when it kicks in and you hear Ricky's, you know, tss, tss, you know it, I get chill bumps. I mean, the lyrical content, I think, is great. It's applicable. Uh, life flows of tragedy. I mean, flesh and blood. You're right. I mean, easily, easily. You know, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, the, you, you say easily top two, but then you're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. That means that means look what the cat dragged in, or flesh, or uh, uh, open up and say ah, or number three. How can that be? But flesh and blood was was incredible to me. Here's the deal. You know, I have a special uh, connection and affinity to th- uh, you know connection to things where you know I kind of lived it and I rem- and so to me 
at my age, you know, I was too young to experience Look What the Cat Dragged In in 86 when it came out, right? So I know it, I absorbed it, I love it, and I, you know, I, I ate and drank it and slept it, but not, not in 1986. Right. When Flesh and Blood came out, I mean, I was right there real time with it. And so I have a special connection to that, you know, whereas I probably discovered Open Up and Say On Flesh and Blood first, and look what the cat dragged in second because I did so flesh and blood will always be special to me because I think about I can remember you know that was kind of junior high to me you know those songs and uh, I didn't get to see them on that tour oddly enough uh, my wife did my wife saw them in Jackson Mississippi um, on that tour flesh and blood and warrant opened up for them it was the cherry pie tour and I saw warrant about four or five months later when poison kicked them off that tour and they said Okay, cool. We'll just go headline our own, and they took more. They took Trickster and Firehouse out, and I saw them on that tour. So, but but my wife saw that Flesh and Blood tour. Did either of you guys see that tour by chance? No. I actually didn't see them for the first time until two thousand and two. And and I will say to your your uh, your reasoning behind you know, just that whole that whole nostalgia and the place, you know, where that it just kind of puts that quoting Butch Walker that time stamp on your brain. You know that you you heard kind of the that, soundtrack of your life right then. But but for me, that's probably why I have such an affinity for "Look What the Cat Dragged In" because that was, as I said, that was my gateway drug. I was listening to that as a little kid in '86. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, was I was ten years old, and I was. Like, you know, probably shouldn't have been listening yeah. to it, but uh. yeah. Well, I mean, I listened to it long enough until my mom that they took it away because she saw you know titles like this is my sister's ex-boyfriend got me the, the cassette and it's <laughs> songs like i want action and all that i mean i think oh, you know a mom's not the biggest fan of that you know right we're, we're, we're starting to this is the second time we talked about my mom taking away my cassettes we, we need to have a chat with her yeah we well, you know i buried my usual illusion albums in the back i love that from, story from, from my mom i love that story <laughs> uh but all right so we've talked about those and i'm just we'll talk about this one real quick and this will be the one that i bring up and we'll rotate around to kate and uh, I know this is a, it's a divisive album for a lot of Poison fans, but I really love Native Tongue, and I, I remember, uh, you know, you got you had you know Metal Edge and Hit Parader, and there were articles for a solid year about this album coming out, much as it were the uh, Karabi Motley Crue album. But you know, you didn't know what to expect, and I remember that I was actually on my way to see Def Leppard here in Memphis in 1993, and we were listening to. Uh, Rock 103, and they came on the radio and said, we're about to premiere the new song from Poison, Stand. And I remember everybody in the car like just stopped and listened because there was so much anticipation. What was it going to sound like? And you know, I, on our previous podcast, I sang the praises of Richie Kotzen. I think he's very underrated. Uh, and But this album, I just I have a strong liking for it. I remember it came out when I was a junior in high school, and I listened to it so, so much. But uh, I, like I said, I know a lot of Poison fans don't feel the same way as I do. Uh, I know Chris, I, I think Chris is kind of lukewarm on it. Kate, you I don't think you and I have ever talked about it. We have never had a conversation <coughs> about this. You're right. I knew I knew you were a big fan. I definitely knew that. Um, uh, so here's where I stand on that. I I am a massive fan of this album. Um, I saw them on this tour. Uh, Damn Yankees and Firehouse opened St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I love this album. So I, I probably was um, very, very reluctant um, of this lineup because I was such a C.C. DeVille fan. Um, so I was, um, you know, I was uh, kind of like the new, 
the new kid in school, you got to get, you know, take the time to get to know him. So I, I kind of gave Richie Kotzen a hard time initially, but uh, I love this album. Listen, to me, there's high points and there's 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 slightly you know lower points, but the high points, I mean, seven days over you and until you suffer some fire and ice. I mean, are you kidding me? Those are massive songs, and I think you know Poison can say thank you, Mr. Kotzen, for 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 a lot of that. Um, you know, if I was picking a genre of Poison. Yeah, I'm gonna go with CC Deville because of uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the things, a lot of the things we've we've talked about. But uh, I, I think I think the musicianship on that album was stellar. I, I truly think Richie Kotzen made every one of those Ricky, Bobby, and Brett. I, I think they I think they went up two levels on that album that I don't know if they would have been capable of with without him. So. Um, it's a great album it was completely different it's divisive that's probably a a a really good way to put it um but uh, i'm a i'm a big fan of that album i think that's a solid pick i've often wondered how people in the public would have viewed that album had they led with blind faith as the single over stand i think stand ran some people off initially they didn't give it enough enough attention let me just say this it it's to me, it's not Richie Kotzen. It's not the single with Stan. It's that it was 1993. That's a good point. That's what it was. Richie Kotzen wasn't the problem. The, the single they released, not the problem. It was the year. It was dead. It is, this music was dead. Yeah. I mean, Nirvana and the whole grunge movement that came in... They had already nailed in, put in the last nail in that coffin by this point. 93, you kidding me? It was right. over. Right. Now, as far as just the album, yeah, I mean, the songs y'all named, great. Theater of the Soul is another great one. Oh, how did I forget that? Kotzen, Pro- probably my favorite, favorite on the album. Chris. Yeah, and, and Kotzen, it wasn't just his playing. It was those background vocals. And this was the first time we were ever really hearing Kotzen, because I knew a Kotzen from Shrapnel Records, and uh, I can't even remember the name of it. I know it was a white cover, and he had the had blue writing on it. I can't remember. But Shrapnel Records, and it was just shredding. That's all it was. It was, just, it was a Steve Vai record. There, was no, there were no vocals on it. I didn't know the voice he had. And I'm hearing those background vocals, and he just enhanced the album. He enhanced their music so much with more than just musicianship. It was vocally. He made Brett better because his voice well, is better than Brett's, and it was in the background, and it, it brought him out. Um, but yeah, I, when you ask what could this record have done, well, the only way we would know how well it would have done is we could have released it in 1990. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, um, can, go ahead, Kate. Can, can, I, can I tell just one yeah. fun fact, funny story yeah. about, about the uh, really quick... Uh, when I saw them in St. Louis on that tour, um, my sister drove me and my girlfriend at the time, high school girlfriend... And, and my sister was a Poison fan like anybody in high school was at that time, but not, not like me, not passionate... And we had seats, not great seats, and I left the seats. I will never, never forget to get her. She, I, I was getting a Coke or whatnot, and she said, hey, get me a pretzel. And I had all intention of going to the concession stand, and I was walking down, and as I was doing it, I must have told you this story before, Chris. As I was doing it, I saw yeah, a massive group of people <laughs> going onto the floor. And I thought to myself, they're not going to check the tickets of every one of those people. They're just not. It was a bolus of people. 
And I thought, I'm going to give it a go. And I got in the middle of them, and I got down there. Of course, I didn't have a seat, but I just got moved six or seven times, which was no problem. Anyway, um, that was during Damn Yankees or Firehouse, and I saw my sister and girlfriend after Poison was done. So I never came back with her pretzel, and I ditched them for the entire show. My girlfriend forgave me immediately because she knew who she was dealing with, and she thought, I get it. My sister was not so happy with me. But I saw the whole thing from... Uh, depending on which row, you know, I was third row, then I had to go back to seventh row, then sixth row, then, but in, it was incredible, and I stayed on. How the early floor was it in the show? Uh, oh, oh, before Poison started. This was during the opening game. This was <laughs> yeah, during the opening. Kate game. was jostling for a uh, position down so, on the floor. You know. Well, I will let uh, Native Tongue be my album that I just uh, selected. So we're going to start back on second your second album. All right, okay. sure. Yeah, so my next pick is uh, Warrant's debut album, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinkin' Rich, uh, released in 1989 on Columbia Records. So uh, this gem went on to uh, double platinum status. This is a favorite album of mine. Um, you know, not only on this album are there the monsters like Heaven, which to this day is probably my favorite uh, glam rock hair metal ballad. Um, you had the monsters like Heaven and Down Boys, but you know some of the others that were on there were were were, were incredible in my mind. In the Sticks, Thirty Two Pennies. Sometimes She Cries, which was also a single. But one of my favorites, one of my all-time favorites from the album is So Damn Pretty, Should Be Against the Law. That guitar riff, um, I, I just thought was amazing. Um, I have always felt hands down, absolutely hands down, that Janie Lane is the most single-handedly underrated uh, singer-songwriter of this genre. Maybe not the most underrated vocalist, but the most underrated songwriter because if you want to start peeling back the layers of the onion, this guy had a lot more substance than just uh, booze and women and sex and drugs. He, he had some lyrical content and the melodies that he could write, the melodies that came out of this guy's head were, were, were just amazing. Um, Warrant, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich. I didn't see them until the Cherry Pie Tour. Um, but this album being their debut album, um, it kind of holds a special, a special place uh, for me. So uh, that's definitely one of my top, one of my top uh, glam the, hair metal albums, the album, if you will. The album sounds so good, and for you could you could tell that the songs were there. I mean, this wasn't a bunch of fluff. The songs were there, and he would only get better as you know as time went on. I agree with you. And I, I kind of feel like that also contributed some to his uh, his uh, his downfall is because I think people didn't take him seriously. You know, you and I have talked about this. Maybe the best song he ever wrote was on an album called Ultraphobic, a song called Stronger Now. Oh, easily. If you gave that to a country artist now, it would be a number one. You know, it would be a number a number one hit easily. Yeah, uh, yeah this album came out. You know, they were kind of the. I guess it depends on what you call technically the first wave. You know, they were either the second wave or the third wave. You know, Eric Turner recently, we talked about interview, he referred to them as the third wave. Yeah. But uh, I'd put them as second. I would, that, that's uh, what I would, I would too. I would as well. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, th this was, it was just a lot of fun. You know, and I was, you know, we're all about the same age. And you're right, you know, it's junior high school and this is out. And I think it, I think heaven broke during the summertime. I think I was on vacation with my parents when I first heard Heaven, and I was like, "Oh, we gotta go get it!" You know, gotta yeah. go get it. Uh, yeah, it's a tremendous. Yeah. Album. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't and I know 
uh, his name's Joey Allen, the guitarist. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he even played. I think they had a studio musician. There's a lot of debate on that. That played. Yeah. So, a- yeah, I, I, you know, there is debate and rumors, but I, I feel like I've read enough over the years that that here's what I think it was. Uh, the, the 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 guy's name was Mike Slammer that they brought in. Okay. Um, and I I, I believe um, that that uh, Eric Turner and Joey Allen did play on the album, but uh, Bo Hill has said in an interview before that everyone was on board. Nothing was done under the table. They weren't necessarily Mike Slammer wasn't necessarily given credit uh, in the album, but that he said, guys, the songs are there. Everything's there, but the solos are, are, are slightly weak. So my understanding is they brought this guy in, leads. and every solo on that album was done by a guy named Mike Slammer. Um, I do believe rhythm and other things were played by Eric and okay. Joey. Um, but uh, but definitely, I mean, that's, that's, that's more know, than the, a rumor. The, they the did rumor was in. so pervasive that when they recorded Dog Eat Dog, Michael Wagner put it in the liner notes. Every song on this album played by these musicians. Oh, I, I remember that actually because it was kind of blatant and over the top. It was like yeah. there are absolutely no musicians and, other than the band members that played on this album. And Jamie Lane refers to him as the most underrated guitarist in the liner notes of Dog Eat Dog. Yeah. Well, um, Chris, I, I think you and I probably have the same Warren album in our list since we're on Warren. You want to go ahead and talk about it? Yeah, I, I thought about this one for a long time because I, I honestly. You know, where all these albums were just listed by Poison, I had a hands down. You know, it was easy with Look What the Cat Dragged In. I didn't on this one. And I had to think about it a lot. And ultimately, I went with Dog Eat Dog just because, I don't know, there's more mature songwriting. It was, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just something about the album. I just, I just, I think it's more consistent if I put it on. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily have the hits like a heaven or sometimes she cries or a cherry pie or Uncle Tom's cabin. I saw red. The list goes on and on. But it was just consistently good, you know. I mean, lead track being, you know, lead single, lead track, machine gun. Uh, Andy Warhol was right. I love that. The bitter pill. And then of course, we've all talked about one of their greatest ballads, Sad Teresa, which. Unfortunately, the mass population has not ever, they've never heard that. Right. One of their best songs ever. No question in my mind. Yeah. And and I have this album on my list as well. And going back to Cherry Pie for just a second, you started to see glimpses of of this album in Cherry Pie with things like I Saw Red and uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. You know, the lyrical content was a little more mature. More mature. To me, the, 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 this album stands out with songs like Hole in My Wall, uh, Let It Rain, uh, Quicksand, All My Bridges Are Burning. I mean, listen mm-hmm. to the lyrics, All My Bridges Are Burning. That's that's deep. Yeah. Um, Bitter Pill. Bitter Pill. Monster of a song. I mean, that's, I mean, that's an original song. You're not going to hear anything else like that by anybody that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, I've listened to a podcast with Michael Wagner, who Chris and I are hopefully going to be meeting here in a couple of weeks. He was the producer of the album, and the uh, the breakdown in German, if I, I think I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, was kind of like "I want beer, give me more beer." You know, when they <laughs> when great. they do the kind of almost like Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, you know, singing in German. But this album is is so underrated, and you know, the famous story after they released Cherry Pie, they were 
Columbia Records darling. And they, uh, they record this album, and uh, Janie Lane goes to the um, president's office. Goes right? to the president's office mm-hmm. at Capitol Record, uh, Capitol or Columbia, I think it's Columbia. Columbia. And there used to always be a picture of the Cherry Pie album when you walk in, and that was taken down. Alice James. James Dirt. I've heard that. And he's yeah. like this. He knew it's it right over. then. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Literally, the writing was hanging on the wall. Hanging on the wall. Wow. It, it, it is, it's, a, it's a shame that not more people listen to this album or give it the respect that, uh, that I think we all yeah. agree it deserves. None of us throughout April 2031. Holy Great smokes. Song. What a song. And listen to the lyrics of Andy yeah. Warhol was right. That played out over and over again, unfortunately, with all the mass shootings that mm. we had you know, not long after that, the school shootings. But yeah, great album. So I'll go ahead and check that one off of my list. Chris, I think we're throwing around to you. Well, yeah, and I think right now I want to go ahead because I'm looking at my list and a lot of this people are going to know. They're going to know these bands. They're going to know these albums. But we're hitting some pretty major heavy hitters right at the beginning. So we need to shake it up a little bit so we're not all the lesser known right at the end. So that being said, I'm looking at these stack of albums and I'm just going to go with what's sitting on the top. Little band called Junkyard. Nice. Sixes, sevens, and nines. Kaden, this was their second one, right? That's right. I think it was their second album. That's right. Yeah, and, and their first album, if you look up like great like hair metal albums or whatever, that first album will come up often. The first one had like Hollywood and Simple Man on it, didn't yes. it? Yes. So is it? This, this is, is the one. Though. This has all the time in the world. All the time in oh, the world. Great song. This is yes. A Give the devil his due. Misery loves company. Um, yeah, it's a great, great record that unfortunately a lot of people did not hear. Hey, this is. We were talking about this earlier. They, you know, or they, they just. This was. This to me sounds like what you think it should always sound like in a smoky dive bar with a rock band on stage. This is this is the soundtrack for that. Mm. This is just a dirty rock and roll show right here, um, but it's still it's got those glam elements. I mean, it, they they're kind of one of those ones, one of the probably the first band we've named so far that kind of teeters, you know, glam not glam. I put them in the glam category, just because they didn't have hair teased up and makeup and try to look like chicks doesn't mean it's not glam, but. I love so, this record. It's a party record. Random trivia question. I know you two are both going to get it. They were kind of famous for a particular band wore their t-shirt in a video. Slash or... Mm. No, it was Axel. Axel. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were poles. But they're label mates. Right. So I don't know how much they was a fan or if it was just the... the I think, Ge- I think, Geffen, I, I think I've read that, you know, Geffen asked them, but... You know the promotion and everything was going to be behind them. They were they were posed, so they expected big things th- from them. They were expecting Guns N' Roses 2.0. The record company was. Did you tell me recently, David, that the Black Crows before Shaker Money Maker hit opened up a few weeks or a, a yeah, few it, months? It, it, for I think it, I think it was like a, a maybe a two month stretch. I recently heard Steve Gorman say, uh, you know, Money Maker just came out and had I don't think really had done anything on the radio, and he said by the end of the tour. It had broken, and that you know it caused some acrimony. I think between the two bands, but yeah, he said they were out of control. Yeah. Man, they were awesome. Yeah. What what year did Shake Your Money Maker come out? Eighty nine or ninety. Ninety. Okay, 90s. so they would have so they would have been touring probably the first record because this is ninety one. Yeah. So they're probably opening for them when they junkyard had the first record out. Yeah, yeah, but this is a great out. I mean, Misery Loves Company all the time in the world. I mean, that's that's a that's that's a spot on. 
analogy that you just said as far as this this is what a you know a, a bar band should sound like granted they were more than a bar band but they had that awesome stripped down capability where they could they could you know you could hear an you hear an album like appetite for destruction and everything sounds like an arena anthem type song that was not junkyard junkyard and Junk, kicks junk, this it's that's a, right that i mean this is these are bar bands yep, agreed you could almost make the uh, case on some of the stuff that you could maybe somewhat classify them as southern rock at times yeah i agree with that I, I, and i don't know where these guys are from i think they're from la okay but uh, which would be interesting. But this is one that you know a lot of people listening to this may not be familiar, and and I think you know some of the stuff we're going to name. You probably are going to it's going to be Mission Impossible trying to find the albums. You could probably find this pretty easily. Oh yeah, it's on uh, Spotify um, and uh, iTunes. And so check it out if you never heard this again. Junkyard sixes, sevens, and nines. You, if you're a fan of this type of music, you're probably going to dig this record. Well, they actually have a new album out. Their first one, I think, it may have been since that album. It's actually getting it's getting a lot of good. I, I saw that they have. I haven't listened to it, but I saw that they yeah. did have a new one out. Yeah, I don't think they strayed too much from their their strings. Well, since we're we're bringing up random um, random albums, I guess I'll I'll bring up mine. So uh, there was a band out of Memphis, Tennessee, named Roxy Blue, where we're recording right now. And wow. Unfortunately, they officially only put out one album called Want Some. But you talk about like listening to music and you instantly know like where you were. When this album came out, I got it. It was if, if you listen to Rock 103, which we all did growing up, you know they they, they pushed this uh, pushed this band. Now, you know this isn't you know we talked about Poison having like the really mature lyrics and stuff like this. This isn't you know this isn't the Bob Dylan of hair metal. Dude, the title is called What Song, right? <laughs> Question mark. But uh, it is a fun album, and it to me though has one of the one of the great ballads of 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 this time frame yes you know times are changing and uh i I played it a lot unfortunately they came way too late into the to the ball game to really do anything you know they only had this one album and i know they had an appearance on like headbangers ball but songs like love on me you know it's just great song too hot to handle sister sister yeah um rob the cradle the cover of the who squeeze box main attraction i mean i can go on and on i love this record yeah it's a great album it's on my list by the way yeah not 92 you're right yeah it was just too late they were too late not not 91 you could argue was borderline and it was the end of 92 was it then it was it was at the very end so i mean you know they were already the nails were already in the coffin when this thing came out but uh Unfortunately, this album is not on Spotify, uh, and it's not on um, iTunes. So, uh, and if you go to Amazon, you have to buy it uh, used. Amazon doesn't have any new copies, and the used copies that uh, that it has are, you know, are twenty five, thirty dollars. So, is what people are asking for it. So, it's out of print. It's hard to get. You can go on YouTube though and listen to it. You can listen to the whole album on YouTube. I did that today because I've lost my copy, Chris burnt me a copy of it today but just a fun fun album that brings back lots of good memories of being in high school and driving around in a car on the weekend and you know and listening to it yeah. well see no i doubt. think i think this album for me it's and again it's on my list i was just more i had more access to it than most people just because they were a hometown band but I think this is was this is an album that i'm not fond of it because they're a memphis band i'm fond of it because it's a great record and like we said, 
they were too late. And I think of a lot of the, some of the more obscure bands we're going to name, we're probably, you're going to probably hear us keep saying they were too late. They could have made it. I really think these guys could have made it. You know, and they get a little bit of criticism for, you know, being a Van Halen knockoff. Van Halen knockoff. But I mean, outside of the background vocals, those little back, those little breakdowns, whatever, Sid's playing was a little kind of Eddie ripoffish at times. But to me, they don't sound like Van Halen. And you've said before, you think times are changing. One is, is if it was a couple of years earlier, it would have been a massive hit. And I, and I think you may be right. But the album beginning in, I mean, they, and I, I think Geffen really believed in this. You know, they had Mike Klink who produced Appetite on it. Um, I know that initially they were supposed to be opening for um, Motley Crue on this. I, I don't remember why. I, I, I don't remember how, what happened on that, but I remember the, the package tour was going to be, they were calling, or at least Mo, the, Roxy Blue was calling it Blue Crew Tour. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and Todd Poole, who was the vocalist, he, um, I mean, a talented guy, you know, he, uh, and he's what, what, a real he well. The, was he not the drummer of Saliva? He was. Before? He's a well-rounded musician. He he ended up becoming the drummer of Saliva. I mean, it was after Roxy, but he became the, the drummer of Saliva, and he just bailed before they got big. So, I mean, there's a guy that was just always at the wrong place, you know, mm-hmm. at the right time. You know, he just he just didn't catch his break. But he's a talented musician. He actually, when Janie Lane left Warrant, he was. I mean, he auditioned, and he was pretty much their guy. That I don't know what happened. Would, that would make sense. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but I know he was pretty much their guy at yeah. one no, point. I, I remember I remember even actually reading something that alluded to that in, in, in Metal Edge back in, you know, 93 or whenever that was. It's, uh, yeah, you know, we, we saw, Chris and I actually saw, um, I don't remember if they billed it as Roxy Blue. I think they, they, they did. did. They did. It was. But it was. Um, it was a benefit concert for the bass player of Tora Tora, who uh, who who was uh, had cancer, and I, I believe successfully successfully battled. Yeah, that. as far as I know, and you don't, and we only what there was just the it was just the bassist that was yeah. um, that was in there. You know, the 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 guitarist is a successful. He's a dentist in and, Memphis, and. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't make it, you know. He, but I think he may be in Atlanta now. And that's oh, why he, he and that's why he couldn't come okay. because he was in Atlanta. He couldn't make it over. I don't think there's any animosity. And then the drummer is a touring musician, and he was on the road at the time. So they did the best they could to be you know, to be Roxy Blue for that night. But I got to tell you. It was fun seeing him. It felt like we were oh, seeing Roxy it was, Blue. It was great. Todd Poole was he was, he was a showman. He was on fire. He was a showman. They played. Times are changing that night, and I, you know, I didn't see Roxy Blue back in the day. You, you actually saw him, Chris. Didn't I did. You? I saw him. Mud Island Amphitheater. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, the the bill was Wildside. You probably remember them. Yeah, sure. It was Wildside, Roxy Blue, and Tora Tora. Wow. So two Memphis, two Memphis bands right there. Packed too. Yeah, packed. That's great. All right, on to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I, I I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to go next on my list is uh, White Lion. The uh, the second release from White Lion is Pride. Some people think it's their first release. It's not. Uh, Fight to Survive was their, their first one that was released overseas and then eventually in the States. But uh, Pride is really what broke them open. So that was released in uh, 87, June 21st of 87. It was uh, Atlantic Records. 
went on to double platinum status eventually. Again, Michael Wagner was at the realm of that one. Michael Wagner is just a monster of a producer of that genre. Uh, did Striper, many, many, many others that we'll probably talk about tonight. Um, but, you know, to me, White Lion, um, there's one word that kind of describes my passion for White Lion, and that's, that's, that's Vito. Vito. So Vito Brada, the guitarist of White Lion, uh, you know, personally me, and this is, this is, you know, definitely probably a controversial statement. <laughs> um, hands down, I think that Vito Brada was the best guitarist of the glam hair metal genre. Um, I, I would put him, I would, I would absolutely myself put him up there and say he is on par with Nuno Betancourt of Extreme. Um, guys, there's, there's seasons and songs and solos and live performances that I've seen where I would put Vito up there with Eddie Van Halen. That's just my opinion, and I realize that's a radical statement. Um, I, I think this guy was a monster, and uh, it's, uh, he's underground right now. It's a shame. That you the know, he world... still lives in the same house that he grew up in, and he's, ta- he's taking care of his mother. Is he, is he Long Island? Is that right? So, yeah, and he, I think he owns a pizza parlor or something. Oh, wow. I've heard that he saved every bit of the money that he, wow. that he made. He would have had to have, because wow. you know he would have been on the road by now. Right. I mean, that album, you know, Wait was the first single. Uh, ended up being a, a monster of a hit, but, but it didn't really make a splash until about seven months after it was released, until MTV started spinning that video. So this album did not take off until about seven months after it was released. Even the single was released because I, for, I don't know if they released the video to MTV later or if MTV just didn't toss it into rotation. But it took a while. It was kind of a slow burn. And then when it did pop, I mean, it, it remained on the Billboard Top 200 for a full 12 months. So... Um, you know, you had monsters like Wait, When the Children Cry, but there was also Deeper Cuts, Hungry, Lady of the Valley, Tell Sweet Me, right? Love and Tell Me. Um, Tell Me is my favorite song of the Yeah, great. And, you know, and, it, and it wasn't just Vito Brada. I mean, th- this was a talented band. You had Lomenzo's James, been all over the place. James Lomenzo on bass, who played with Zach Wilde. Has he been some, in Megadeth? Yes. He has. Yes. He's done stuff recently with Michael Sweet of Striper. Mustaine probably doesn't advertise that. <clears throat> But but to me that's 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 easily one of the uh, the, the better albums of the genre. Um, I've always been a fan of White Line. There's multiple albums that I could have put on this list. Um, I chose their second, Pride. Great album. I like it. It's um, and I only I actually only it's one of the ones that I own. I didn't own all of them, but yeah, I like that. We I mean, we're talking about Tell Me, Hungry, Wait. Those are songs that always stood out, and of course. When the children cry, I mean, ballad, but not a ballad in the sense of what we were used to. It wasn't, you know, about love, but... Um, All right, I have a embarrassing, funny story about When the Children Cry. So, when I was growing up, our church had a thing, kind of like a... I don't know if you'd call it a talent show, but it was just uh, this event. We knew if three, four hundred people would come to it. Different members of the church would play music. We had one guy that would play all these Elvis songs on his guitar. And, of course, I think I was, man, we were in the seventh or eighth grade, and me and a buddy of mine had started playing, learning how to play the guitar. And I convinced our pastor to let us pantomime <laughs> to When the Children Cry. Now, the funny thing is, we had a guy up there playing drums. <laughs> there were no drums 
on this thing. And it's just one of the many embarrassing moments of my life. But I was, quote, unquote, the singer. And I was just <laughs> lip syncing to it. And my buddy Eddie was holding my PV electric guitar. And, of course, you know, it only kicks in, you know, the solo. Monster solo. Yeah, but anyway, that was just uh, that's great. an embarrassing. Uh, that's Whenever I hear White Line, I go, that's man, great. I stood in front of 300 people and looked like an idiot. I'll I, I tell you, a regret of mine is I, I saw Striper in 1989. And the tail end of the uh, Pride Tour, the tail end, um, White Line opened for Striper on the In God We Trust Tour. And I missed them by about two months. So when I saw Striper, Jet Boy opened. And about two months prior, in fact, um, when they played in Missouri, where I grew up, White Line opened that show, and it was the tail end of the Pride Tour. And I would have seen two of my favorite bands Instead, I saw Jet Boy, which was not one of my favorite bands. But uh, you just upset the two Jet Boy fans there are. Out there. Yeah, that's right. Hey, feel the shake. It's a great, it's a yeah. great song, guys. All right. Well, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of going to my next albums based on what people talk about, and so yeah, Caden talking about Vito, so I got to go Nuno. Um, Nuno to me is right behind Vito, like, right behind Vito, right? He's behind. <laughs> He's behind Eddie. He's behind Randy Rhodes. Um, and, you know, and to be honest, he may be better than Randy. You know, Randy was inventive. But what he did with that guitar, man, I mean, Nuno Betancourt is, I think, Nuno Betancourt to me is the, is the guy, very few of them could have done this. He could have gone the Steve Vai route. He could have been selling albums. You know, he's that good. So anyway, the album is pornography, um, extreme. I, um, you know, the record, it's a great record, but what gets me more than anything is just the playing. That's why I love this album so much. You know, the, the songs are good. Gary Sharon sounds good on the album, but it, to me, it, it was it was about the playing, and a very diverse album. Yeah, it, yeah, it really was. But, but man, he. I mean, just opening with Decadence Dance. The, the thing about this is, okay, I, I don't... I think Vito's really good, don't get me wrong. And Vito's solos are really good, but the riffs that Nuno had, it wasn't just about solo and the riffs, Decadence Dance, just that rift. Um, it's a monster. The riffs, the riffs on those. Don't even, we're not even at the solo yet. And once it got to the solo, he just annihilated them. But, but yeah, I mean, those... Um, and I, I love, you know... As far as this album, of course, you had the ballad, More Than Words, which was one of the first ones that was not really a power ballad of that time frame. Um, He-Man, Woman, Hater. That's a killer song. It's a great one. Um, the song, Pornography. And then this, just uh, Susie. Yeah, what is it? Susie wants her, wants her all day what? Um, but that Flight of the Bumblebee, which is not actually listed yeah, on a, here. It's a, opening to us. It's not listed on here. But anyway, I mean, the playing on this one is just insane. I mean, this guy, yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the best guitarists ever. So we talk about, in one of our podcasts, about album covers. I bought this cassette based on the album cover without months before More Than Words came out, just based on the album cover. I was like, this looks really, this looks really <laughs> interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I agree. Almost looks like a Nintendo video game cover, right? You know, 
I agree with you. Uh, when you know more than words, this haven't been out a while before more than words was released. Oh yeah, and I think of all the people that kind of made it. One of the most unfortunate things for uh, if you were in extreme, and you guys may is his name Pat Badger? Is that the drummer or the bass player? Bassist. Yeah. Bass player. All right, I can't remember the drummer's name. It was Tor- Tor- Gear. Pat- no, I'm thinking about Mr. Big. Torpy. Pat Torpy was it. Is, uh, is it Geary or Pat Geary? Is it Pat Geary? Yes. No. Anyway, so here, here's this band that he's in. Paul Geary. Paul Geary. Paul Geary. You know, and they were huge in the Northeast. You know, their first album was huge, you know, in that area. So here's this guy, you know, his band just blows up with more than words. They go on TV to play it. He's got nothing to do. <laughs> and then their second single is Wholehearted, which I think just basically consists of a bass drum. Uh, you know, so the two songs that people want to hear most often, he's just kind of... You know, the, 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 the fitting thing, too, is if you, if you remember... He was, which I always thought this was very cool, by the way. All these guys like Ricky Rocket. Sorry, I love Poison. Ricky seems like a cool guy. He's not a great drummer. He would play this massive kit. Not like he knew what to do with it. And this guy, this Gary, would play the most small, basic, like four-piece kit. Mm. You know? And it's like, and I love the fact that he knew I don't need all that other stuff. I don't care what people think about Everybody's me. Everybody's going to be looking at the guitar player. Yeah, anyway. it's like, I don't care. And he yeah. didn't need it. Because he's probably a much better drummer than Ricky Rocket. But he played the most stripped-down set. Right, and the general public won't know because the two songs he didn't have really any part in. True. I mean, that's... In the video, he's holding a lighter. Yeah, that would be my luck. Like, if I was in a band, I mean, you know, we have a number one hit. And here, oh, David, our drummer, he's just going to stand on the sideline <laughs> and thump a tambourine every now and then. Um, all right, so I'm going to go with my next one, and I'm going to go with an album by Rat. And this is probably not one you guys were thinking of, Detonator. Uh, it was their last album that they put out with uh, Robin Crosby and, you know, the, the original, I think, with the original lineup. And I'll be honest with you, when I was growing up, you know, about all I liked of Rat was Round and Round. Because, you know, that was everywhere. And uh, the other songs, you know, that they had that were hits, I knew what they were, but they never really did anything for me. And this album came out, and I got it. And, you know, I know this is at the back end of their career, and it's, you know, kind of when, when this kind of music's about to go downhill. But I really like it. Uh, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. Uh, uh, great ballad, uh, Giving Yourself Away. It was, you know, Desmond Child wrote that, and the other ballad that they did, One Step Away. And uh, Shame, Shame, Shame. Um, I listened to it an awful lot. Uh, when it came out and I still find myself uh, oddly enough listening to uh, giving yourself away um, a lot I, I like and it's got love and use a dirty job which is a, a great song um, that uh, I know I talked about on our last podcast there's a YouTube video out there of Stephen Piercy was too drunk to do a show and Karabi stepped up and sang this and man he sounded a whole lot better than, than Piercy on it. <laughs> but anyway, I know it's not one of their more popular ones, and uh, Chris has accused me of kind of sometimes going out in left field on some of the albums I do. But anyway, it's just one I listen to a lot, and I still uh, still throw it in every now and then and listen to it. So uh, anyway, I don't know if y'all have any if y'all are rap fans or not. Well, really just what I want to say about this, the album is giving yourself away one of the most underrated underappreciated ballads because can we say criminally underrated we can yeah. we can go and say it. this is the yeah, first pure, time of period. this podcast yeah. criminally underrated yeah agreed it, it just 
Rat wasn't known for ballads. That's exactly what I was going to say. It, it was, their it first was such an anomaly for Piercy to be singing a ballad yeah. that it was it was it was it worked. And it was but damn it just, good. It just, it, it just went under the radar. It yeah. I, I, so you know, I don't. I'm. I'm that's all. I, in sake of time, I won't dwell on that. I'll just say that that ballad is yes, criminally underrated, and I love that song. Yeah, yeah. I, so when you said it's a rat album, but it's not what you, uh, what most people would expect, I thought you were going to go reach for the sky because that almost made my list. Th- those are my two favorite rat me, albums. Me too. Me too. So I mean, you know, I re- want a woman. Re- reach for the yeah. There's so much on Reach for the Sky, and most people wouldn't think about that. Detonator, you did, you did surprise me. Um, you know, I, I, in in my opinion, I feel like there's a little bit of filler on, on, on that record. Um, but giving yourself away clearly, it, it, it just an incredible ballad, as you guys said. Ballad, you know, slash. It, it wasn't just a sappy, you know, mid tempo. Yeah, mid tempo. I, I still remember on Rock One Hundred Three, um, they always did at, at nine o'clock. They would do what's called "Love It or Shove It." Yeah, play I remember you talking about that actually. That made "Love It or Shove that. It," and it was getting shoved like crazy. Oh. And I'm like, dude, I just heard the greatest ballad ever, yeah. and y'all are shoving it. I, I always <laughs> love. I always really liked Love and Use a Dirty Job. I've heard some, it's good even some rat fans, I've heard some people go negative on that. Kind of, uh, I thought that was a great tune. Um, so Detonator, yeah, you know, surprising pick on the surface, but as we talk about it and as I sit here and look at the track list on not my bad. phone and refresh myself, uh, respectable pick. Yeah, not, not, not bad at all. Yeah. Way to think outside of the box, David. <laughs> My, my, my pick, guys, uh, my next pick is uh, one of my all-time, hands-down favorite bands, uh, Striper, Soldiers Under Command, released in 1985 on Enigma Records, Michael Wagner on the production board again. Um, I've got to say about this one, though, guys, if you haven't heard this, this is, this is absolutely not your typical glam rock album let me just say that this is a heavy metal record okay soldiers under command is a metal album you had oz fox and michael sweet who was the lead singer who was just as monstrous of a guitar player as he was a singer as he is a singer he's still very very active oz and michael sweet almost had the iron maiden type you know tandem trade-off guitar type element going um, uh, Robert Sweet, Thunderous on the drums, Tim Gaines, the bass player. Th- this is a great album. The opening track, Soldiers Under Command, that riff, I mean, it will it literally will just rip your face off. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's one for the ages. Um, this has one of my favorite ballads from the whole era um, called First Love. It's kind of a, you know, under the radar ballad. It wasn't a big hit. Uh, it's an incredible song. And probably my all-time favorite Striper song, Waiting for a Love That's Real. Again, was not a hit. Um, but Striper, you know, the, the thing I would say about this album particularly, they did a few others in God We Trust. That was more of a glam rock, Man, that was slick and pop polished. type yeah. slip. You know, and if you, if you talk to Michael Sweet, he'll tell you that's a big regret of his. It was overproduced, overpolished. Everything was just perfection. But Soldiers Under Command... Um, it, it is a heavy metal album. Most of what we've talked about tonight, you know, glam rock, a lot of that you can argue is kind of popish. There's right. not a lot of metal to it sometimes. Right. Soldiers Under Command was a metal album. Um, 
<laughs> Remind me, Richard Christie, I believe. It I was going to go from, with that from from the Howard Stern show. You know, he was the drummer for Death, I believe, for a while. And he Death is, and Ice Earth. He is a um, of the Dam now. an avid, avid striper well, well, fan. Here's the, th- here's the thing about about uh, not, not to cut you off, but uh, Richard Christie on on, on Howard Stern, he's always people always laugh at him saying because he says everything's his favorite. So. That being said, I don't know if this truly is his favorite, but I've seen him say this is his favorite album ever. All right, so I cannot remember the name of the podcast. It was either it was either Eddie Trunk or Chris Jericho's podcast. They had Richard Christie on, and they didn't tell Richard Christie, and they let Michael Sweet call in and talk to him. And it was straight up Chris Farley show type material. <laughs> and I. Uh, Michael Sweet even said, "Hey, look, the next time we're in town, what if we let you come up and play drums with us?" And I'm, you know, man, that'd be awesome, man. You know, and it was he did do that too. It was so cool to hear it because he he went from being, you know, Richard Christie on the Howard Stern who's show, who's a great drummer, by the who's way. a great drummer, to being a 13 year old boy, you know, <laughs> getting getting to talk to one of his favorite bands and. Uh, yeah, he I mean, he he has Striper up there as you know one of his two or three favorite of all time, and you know I, I, the thing about Striper is I think they've gotten better with age. They have their last two albums, man, are great. Yeah, Murder by Pride and Fallen. We've and, talked about doing a podcast at some point where we talk about the bands that still have it, and those that still don't. This may be the number one of who still has it. Yeah. And I if mean, if we've ever appropriately thrown out the name criminally underrated. The backing vocals by Striper with uh, Oz, Oz Foz. I yeah. always want to say Oz, Oz Fox. Fox. No, that's uh, right. Oz, yeah, and Tim Gaines. I don't think anybody can touch them. Yeah, no, they're good. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, you know, we talked about during an REM episode how important Mike Mills' vocals are. Their vocals are so good. Um, you know, I, I think they deserve uh, mentioning. But, yeah, that album is right. There's nothing pop about it. Straight up metal, and that waiting on a love, that, that waiting for a love that's real that you talked about. That guitar is just awesome. Oh, yeah. And they've actually played that. Talking about Richard Christie on Howard Stern, they played that like coming, you know, going into commercial breaks. They played that that opening riff oh, wow. many, many times. And I've always thought that's funny that it's from the Howard Stern show and they're playing wow. Striper for for that's for cool. two reasons. First, it's a Christian band on Howard Stern. Second, it's well, it's 2017. Yeah, right. And they still do it. You know, I, I remember uh, I've got a cassette tape uh, of uh, when Striper was on the Howard Stern show, oddly enough, in the during the Against the Law phase when they kind of uh, flirted with a little bit of the uh, the secular type, type side and caught a hard time for that. But they were on Howard Stern. And as you can oh, wow. imagine, like most of his interviews, it was a, a very challenging an interesting interview because he didn't hold any, you know, spare any punches. I'm but, gonna uh, have to see if I can find that on the yeah, YouTube. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it. I'll, I'll let you listen Man, to I it. I really it's, want to hear that. It's it's it's, it's a good. I'm a big Howard Stern fan, people. And I, I would just tell you guys, this doesn't have anything to do with the album Soldiers Under Command. But I would I would just tell you, Chris said, you know, bands that still have it. Seriously, do yourself a favor. If Striper comes around, they're very very active. Um, uh, go see them. They're incredible live still. All four original members, um, and they're just they're just they're they're so tight uh, live and uh, good people too. Michael Sweet, I was gonna say Michael Sweet seems like one of the better guys. Kate and I got to meet him not long ago in, in Nashville, and the guy was so cool. I remember him like coming up to me talking because I had a social distortion shirt on, and, you know, and he thought it was so cool that I had a social D shirt on. But 
just a friendly, friendly guy. I mean, support the guy. I mean, he's he's still doing it, you know. Support him. All right. Well, my turn. Um, I'm looking at my list. Like, where do I want to go right now? Okay, I'm gonna go and go with one that's a little bit more obscure that I know Caton is gonna get so so fired up for, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna speak briefly and let him run with it. Pretty boy Floyd, mm. leather boys with electric toys. What, what am I holding in my hand right now? What's Which, on your shirt? On, yeah, yeah, your shirt. Yeah, you're I mean. wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, this is okay. This is time number two, buddy. Okay. Criminally <laughs> underrated glam record. Oh, it's insanity. I mean, this is... Okay, we talked about the glam sleaze of Faster Pussycat. We mentioned it with LA Guns, which LA Guns we'll get, we'll get to in a minute. But, man, if, if we said Junkyard, they sound like what you expect a bar band to sound like. This is what sleaze glam rock sounds like. The cover of the album fits this record. This is as trashy, sleazy glam as you're going to get. And it's perfection. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot musically to this. Although the drummer's pretty good. Kerry Kane's a great drummer. He's a pretty good drummer. He's a great drummer. But um, anyway, the songs off of this, are there are so many good ones. Mm. But rock and roll, it's going to set the night on fire. 48 Hours. Only the Young. Wild the, Angels. The Last Kiss. Wild Angels. The Ballad. I Want to Be With You. Mm. Um. We basically can say tracks. There's ten tracks on here, and tracks one through ten are all pretty great. Yeah. So take over. You know, no leather boys with electric toys. Are you kidding me? Like you said, I mean, I'm I'm wearing a t-shirt right now as as we speak. I mean, you know, one of my all-time favorite glam records. Period. Poke fun at it. Do whatever you want. You're foolish if you do. It, if you like glam, almost bubblegum type, you know, pop glam. This is this is, you know, this is the album for you. I mean, 1989, Howard Benson produced it. He also did Tough, Bang Tango, South Gang, Little Caesar. I mean, you know, that, that he was almost known for those tier 2 type glam bands if you will. Um, you know, Pretty Boy Floyd only played a few shows on the Sunset Strip before MCA snatched him up. That's so that's, that's something right they there. They did not necessarily pay their dues, quote unquote, like a lot of these bands. They literally rehearsed and played two or three shows. I've heard Steve Summers in an interview, the lead singer, say before they got signed to to a record deal. Um, you know, oddly enough, there was another band from Canada called Pretty Boy Floyd that released an album called Bullets and Lipstick. I think the same year that Leather Boys came out, and there was a some court contention, and Pretty Boy Floyd won out, and the other band agreed to change their name but uh, I've seen that album before as a kid in, in, in stores the other Pretty Boy Floyd but this album's incredible they had a hit you know a quasi hit I Want to Be With You MTV played it I grew up in rural Missouri I can even remember hearing it on the radio there Wild Angels is the one I'm the most familiar with what, what, Wild Angels was, was is you know one of the best songs on the album uh, I think but uh, you know Pretty Boy Floyd, I've seen him a bunch, not back in the heyday, you know, in the in the last decade or so, playing in clubs, unfortunately, sometimes with, you know, 30 people there. Um, but uh, a, a, a great band, you know, more than a great band, I would say, this was just a great album. I mean, it was. Whole, everything that went into this was, was, was just, uh, it was so good. If you like glam and, and that whole bubblegum type scene, then you'll dig this. And two things about this. The rumor is, anyway, with the name Pretty Boy Floyd, um, 
I, this isn't really about the album, but I've always thought this was funny. Ugly Kid Joe was opening for Pretty Boy Floyd, and they didn't really, they weren't really set on a band name, and they saw Pretty Boy Floyd, and so they thought, okay, we'll go with Ugly Kid Joe. And I've always thought that's hilarious. Um, and one quick thing before we move on, and I'll let you kind of take this one, Kate, because I know you more know more about it, but album was released in 89, so I don't think they were really hit with the time, you know, as far as why they didn't get big. You know, why this album didn't get as big, I don't know. But they didn't hit, they didn't even have a second album. And this is where I'll let you jump in. I know there was the, the guy, was it Ariel Styles? Yeah. The original guitarist. Yeah, he, he wrote all the songs, and it's like these guys couldn't write, is yeah. what it seems like. I mean, nobody in this band could write a song. And once he left, record number two, not happening. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. I mean, you know, and there was some courtroom contention there as well with Ariel Styles. He didn't even get saying, a credit, did he? He didn't get properly credited. And, you know, uh, he, he was in a band before Pretty Boy Floyd called Carrie Doll, K-E-R-R-Y, Doll. You can find the clips on YouTube, and there's some uh, Pretty Boy Floyd songs, Wild Angels being one of them, that Carrie Doll did beforehand. So he clearly brought those songs to the band. Um, and that's why I say, you know, I, I think I would focus on this more, um, you know, not so much as, oh, this is the best band ever, like I would say White Lion is and everything they do. I think, you know, Vito Brown is great, etc. You know, this was more right place at the right time. This album is what's special. This album you know, sometimes you can look at a, a, a band and they've got four or five albums in their catalog you can point to. Not so much with Pretty Boy Floyd, but if you like this genre of music, I promise you top to bottom, Leather Boys with Electric Toys is just as good as Poison Look What the Cat Dragged In. There's no question in my mind. It's just as good. It's, uh, it's a great album. I would check it out. If Glam you, Perfection. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They definitely used up all their bullets. Uh, on the one album. All right, so it's my turn. I'm going to go with a band that's not really a uh, hair metal band, but this album is uh, Sonic Temple by The Cult. Um, you know, they they started off kind of as a almost a new wave goth band, and then, you know, with Electric turned into a full-on, you know, hard rock, classic rock sound. But Sonic Temple, I think, was their att- uh, attempt to capitalize on the success of Electric with the times that we were living in at that time. And the album is definitely slicker and more polished than uh, the other albums. Um, you know, some of the videos were big on MTV. Uh, my favorites on the album are Edie Chow Baby, uh, I Love Sun King, American Horse, and then Sweet Soul Sister. And <clears throat> Sweet Soul Sister always holds a special place in my heart because uh, I had I, I've told this story before when I'd go to visit my grandparents. They had this huge mall by their house, and I'd save up all my allowance for two or three months. Well, when I got there, I had to max. I had to have about thirty, thirty-five dollars. I had to maximize my my buying potential there. So I would go around, read all the magazines, fit, find out the albums I wanted, and then they had three CD stores. And so I would f- get those albums that I wanted, write them down, go to every CD store, price them for the cheapest one, and if I had anything left over, casingles, mm. I'd go get a casingle. And the uh, Sweet Soul Sister was like a single that I got. And to this day, the guitar solo on that, it's nothing special. It's one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. And I got to see the cult last summer, actually probably maybe this week, a year ago, Chris and I saw them with Guns N' Roses 
anyway, um, you know, it's a little bit different than the other albums because I said it is slicker and more polished, but it's one that I still listen to a lot today. I go to the gym, throw on Sun King, American Horse, uh, Edie Chow Baby. I mean, that's that's a great ballad, but it's it's not your typical power ballad of, um, you know, the time. I think it was written about Edie Sedgwick, one of Andy Warhol's uh, women that was ran in his circles. But anyway, uh, I don't know your guys' thoughts on the album, but it, it's one that I still listen to a lot to this day. Love the album. Um, yeah, we, we talked about it. We talked about this before. There's not a right or wrong answer. I wouldn't have counted it as, as a glam record for myself, but you did, and that's great, so we're going to run with it that way. Um, I mean, I've seen the cult probably six, seven times. And what you're talking about with um, with Billy Duffy and the soloing, Billy Duffy, I look at like Angus Young. Now, Angus Young is probably a little bit better, um, maybe a lot better. But they're players that don't always get the most credit for being just because they're not just absolute shredders. But they come up with cool riffs and they have cool sounding solos. And I love both of those guys playing. And Billy Duffy, I've always loved his playing. And I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, always loved him as a player. I know he's not flashy. But that album, yeah, Sonic Temple's great. I, I, I love the album. I mean, you know, surprisingly, neither of you mentioned, and I know it was the hit, um, so I'll, I'll jump on it. You know, I mean, when I, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I went nuts over Firewoman. I mean, are you kidding me? Headbangers Ball? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love that. And, you know... I agree with how you introed uh, the piece, David, where you said a lot of people won't consider this a glam band. And then, Chris, you kind of disagreed and said, I wouldn't. Well, here's my view. My view is we're talking about albums. And Sonic Temple, I would consider in the glam category because Headbangers Ball played it, Hair Nation plays it, and, you know, more than any of their other records, I would consider Sonic Temple... You know, if you wanna if you wanna talk about this, you know, '80s glam type, I, I, I think it's as close to being in, in there as anything the cult did. Billy Duffy, I mean, you know, it, it, as much as sounding good, I mean, that that cat just looked cool. Still does. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that, still does. That, that's him on the cover, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that album cover. It, it, if you guys, I think you have done an album cover actually mm-hmm. uh, podcast before. Um, Man, Sonic Temple could have and made he, that. And Ian Asbury's sure. in the background, and you don't even really realize it's mm. him because it almost looks like fire. Right. It's Ian Asbury. But, but no, and I like what you said about the album itself is more glam, and that's a good point that I didn't really give as much consideration in the same way that Alice Cooper's not glam, but in the late 80s, he got super glam sounding. Ozzy was in Black Sabbath. Ozzy was pretty glam in the 80s, especially in those Jakey Lee days. And he dressed like he was in the Golden Girls a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Ozzy. You know, I, I, I used to think back in the 80s when Ozzy would try and glam it up, I always thought he looked like an ugly Bobby Blotzer. <laughs> which, I wasn't sure which one. You know, is it ugly Bobby Blotzer or is it an ugly Ozzy? You've insulted somebody. Sure. But yeah, yeah, somebody. somebody. Well, neither one of them were the best looking cats. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. So, my, my, my pick, my next one, I'm digging deep, guys. So, so stay with me here. I'm digging deep. My, my, uh, my next pick is uh, Big Bang Babies. Big Bang Babies, I'm going to go with the album Black Market. It was released in 1994. So check yourself, 1994. These guys didn't even exist in the 80s, but let me tell you, they were bubblegum glam with a punky attitude. Big Bang Babies, 
um, was 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 the uh, kind of creation of Kerry Kelly. Kerry Kelly is a very accomplished guitarist. Has played with a lot of guys, a lot of guys. He did a long stint with Slash's Snake Pit. He played for nearly you know seven eight years, probably longer, with um, Alice Cooper. He played with Skid Row, Vince Neil. He's now been a Night Ranger for the past five years. He, he's a great guitarist. He's played with a lot of people. Big Bang Babies was his band. They were a Sunset Strip. They were in that 90s scene. So you kind of had the 80s Sunset Strip, you know, and a lot of those guys, you know, got their record deals and made it. And then you kind of had the 90s, those guys that were a little too late. Heartthrob Mob, Queenie Blast Pop, Swingin' Thing, Big Bang Babies was right there with them. They were a Gazaris band. They sold out multiple nights at the Roxy Theater. They were all the rage in that L.A. Sunset Strip, but they were just a little too late to the party. Kit Ashley was the lead singer. His real name's Charlie Overby. He's still active out there as a solo musician. He's great. Um, But Big Bang Babies, if you like glam, bubblegum, pop, with a little bit of a punk attitude, as I said, I cannot recommend Black Market enough. And I just want to tell you one um, one more story just quickly. Um, I interviewed Kerry Kelly when I was in college. I had a small radio show, and I interviewed him. And, and, and this guy's genuinely a good guy. Um, he, he has um, kind of remembered that interview and stayed connected with me throughout the years um, for, for, for really no other reason than, you know, when he was in a band that nobody had ever heard of. And I, I heard about Big Bang Babies in Metal Edge magazine. Do you remember a section called Rock on the Rise? Yeah. Big Bang Babies was in there, and that was how I heard of them. That was how I first heard of them. And we've stayed in touch. Chris and I multiple times have caught up with him for dinner before shows with Slash, with Night Ranger. Um, He's a good guy. It's a great album. And I'll just tell you one more fun fact. He's played with a lot of bands. Some people occasionally will kind of um, you know, have a good time with that. Um, but I read an interview, and I've heard Kerry say personally before that, and this will tell you kind of what 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 a, 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 a solid guitarist he is. He got a phone call from Skid Row's manager um, one day at ten or eleven a.m. and he said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing doing some shows with the Skid Row guys and helping them out?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And he said, "Okay." He said, "I'm going to have Rachel Bowen's going to give you a call." He said about 15 minutes later, his phone rang, and he said, "Hey, it's 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 Rachel. You know, could you could could you uh, could you learn some songs?" He said, "Yeah, no problem." He said, "I got you know 17 or 18 songs." And he said, "All right, cool." He said, "When when are you talking about?" And he said, "We have a show tomorrow." And so this was 10 or 11 a.m. Carrie's in L.A. and he sent him all the songs, and he said, "Fortunately, I knew some of them because radio hits, etc." And Skid Row booked him a flight at 7 a.m. the next morning to make it out there. So he had from 11 a.m. until he flew out. They did the show that next night. He learned 17 or 18 Skid Row songs. Um, that, that's, that's probably a musician for you there. <laughs> yeah. So what, what do you think, Chris? I know, you, I know you're familiar with this band, and you know Carrie as well. Yeah, and um, I mean, this album is... Okay, we already talked, we hinted to, we, we were earlier, we were talking about Warrant, second or third wave, which, again, Kerry played with Warrant, first time we, that I got to meet him. I think you too. Or, Nashville. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Nashville too. Um, well, if, if there's three waves, then Big Bang Babies was in wave four. Um, they were just too late. 
I, I cannot think of any other reason why they didn't make it because if you listen to this album, yeah, there's. I mean, they should have made it. And in '94, a glam band was not going to make it. No ifs, ands, and buts. It just wasn't going to happen because um, it wasn't just just grunge at the time. The whole the whole spectrum of music had changed. You know, you put on it's get in your car and put on, if you have Sirius and put on Lithium. That's what was on the radio. Not these type of bands. And it's a shame because I think these guys could have been as huge as the Warrants and the Poisons and all those bands. This album, you know, if, if you if you really want to hear something, if you love the real, as, as Caton said, kind of the, the more bubblegummy, glam, poppy type songs, check these guys out. I, this album he's talking about, Black Market, it, it's probably going to be pretty difficult for you to find. You might find and it on pricey eBay. pricey on eBay. Yeah, These you, things go for yeah, like I tried 75, today. 100 it's, bucks It's not on, on iTunes, it's not on Spotify. Yeah, but you can find three, what, three chords in the truth. You can find that that's on, on, that's on iTunes and you're going to get a lot of these songs. And uh, I can't remember what all is on on three chords. I have it. But as far, we're talking about Black Market though and, and Love Drug. Eight Arms, uh, the ballad, um, yeah, won't be gone for long. This in this solo bliss. I yeah, remember I was yeah. playing that from old guitar teacher who was a phenom. I mean, we're friends now, and so he wasn't teaching me guitar. We were just hanging out one night, and I put it on, and this will show you that Carrie really is a great player. Mike heard it. He's like, it sounds like some Ingve type stuff right there. And is there a better compliment? Mm. Somebody saying you you sound kind of like Ingve. And nobody really wants, they want to be their own person, but if you're going to be compared to somebody, right. it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to be compared right. to Ingve. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the hidden tracks after this, those were the killer tracks, too. Oh, yeah. And um, it's Can- Candy Girl? Is that yes, one? Can- yes. Yeah, Candy yes. Girl. Yeah, incredible. And, and I will say, too, um, finally, before we move on, you mentioned Charlie Overby. It's not glam, it's not glam at all. If you like some of this, you more uh, alt country singer-songwriter guys like Chuck Reagan, um, you know, Johnny Two Bags, all those type guys, check out Charlie Overby. He's doing some good stuff. Mm. All right. So next, I'm going to go with another one that's a little bit more obscure. Some you know, some more people will know of this, the, the singer's name. But I'm going to go with um, Let It Scream by The Scream. John Karabi is the vocalist. John Karabi is the guy who filled in for Motley Crue when Vince was kicked out. Um, you know, he came in for the self-titled Motley Crue album. But the scream, I was one of the the ones that um, this wasn't something that came later in life to me. I remember buying the cassette tape when I was, I think I was maybe I was probably about 14, 15 years old, and I knew of. The, the thing about about The Scream is it was a band that I was familiar with and had their music, Racer X. It was Racer X. My, you know, Racer X was a band that was just two shredding guitar players. Was that players. Paul Gilbert? It was Paul Gilbert and, and um, Bruce Boulay. Both absolute shredders. Well, Racer X, minus the singer and minus Bruce Boulay, that was The Scream. It was uh, Bruce Boulay on guitar, John Altaretti on bass, and you had Scott Travis on drums. Scott Travis, before they ever put out the record, he left because he went to join Judas Priest. And um, so in came, I don't, remember, I don't remember his name, but he was a Shark Island drummer. A lot of people know that name, Shark Island. But they released Let It Scream. And um, I remember I was legit bummed 
when I found out he was going to Motley Crue. Not because Vince was leaving Crue, but because the scream was going to be no more. That's how much I loved this record when I was about 14, 15 years old. I wore this one out. And, you know, if you, if you, know, if you know of Karabi from the Crew album, which you probably do, anybody that's taken the time to listen to this, but you maybe never heard the scream, go listen to it. Um, Outlaw, I Believe in Me, Man in the Moon, Father, Mother, Son is one of the best ballads, and it's it's a tearjerker. It's not like the love song, whatever. It's a it's a really sad song. Love's got a hold on me. Um, great, great album. I, I know you're a big Krabi fan. I think we all are here. So I'll, I'll... Well, the the thing about them is, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. I think they could have weathered the storm of grunge because they were. That album is not just straight up glam. It's not. And, and you know, his voice is his voice is not the typical Bluesy glam. Raspy. I really think had he stayed with them, they could have weathered the storm some, some you know, somewhat. Um, and it's a diverse album, especially for the time. And uh, you know, I did come to them late. I mean, I'd, I'd seen their name in the magazines, but when he took the crew job, it was always X Scream singer you know john karabi it's a good album it's hard to find it is uh, and uh it's hard to find but it is it is a it is a good album i agree with you and the playing is so great because you know bruce boulet is again he was shredding with paul gilbert of mr big that should tell you something i mean this right. wasn't he wasn't the rhythm guitarist they were both leads and john Altaretti, we don't often talk about bass players which is gonna be a good segue for the next pick um <laughs> We don't, don't often talk about good bass players in glam. He was one of them. I mean, he, he was great. And if I remember correctly, I, I may be wrong, but I think they got signed after their first gig. The Scream? Yeah. Wow. I think they did. But you got to think, it, it was Racer X guys, and they hit this hot shot singer in Karabi. And, right. Yeah. And Karabi's, Karabi's a good guitar player, too. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Played rhythm guitar and rat for a number of years. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was late to the party with the scream. I'll admit. Um, you know, I, you, you mentioned when you were fourteen, fifteen. I, mean, I definitely was not real time with this band. Um, but but what an album! What an album! Father, mother, son. You're right. I mean, one of the most tear jerking type. You know, ballad songs. I mean, heartfelt. It's great. And I'll tell you too. Just a sidebar. It has nothing to do with this album. And you know, you know, I guess you can only tell so much from meeting people for a you know a five minute period. But I've met John Karabi a few times. And, and I truly believe he's probably, on the surface, one of the nicest guys in the industry right now. I mean, he is the nicest uh, guy to, to, to fans and casual meetings. Um, his voice, the tone in his voice. I mean, you know, I hope the Motley Crue self-titled album makes one of our lists, to be honest with you, because I think it uh, would be a shame if it doesn't, because Karabi just slays it on that album. Um, I love him. I love the scream. I was late to the party. Uh, but I'm glad I showed up at least, yeah. Well, I'm going to, uh, on my next one, going to go with a Motley Crue album, but it is not going to be uh, the self-titled one. Uh, and don't laugh at me when I say this. Let me explain it to you. Decade oh, of, go, 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 no, go. Okay. Decade of Decadence. And I'll tell you what, it's a greatest hits album. So don't, I don't want to talk about it. He's getting yet. funny looks right now. So yeah, people. I, I don't, I, I'm talking about the songs <laughs> Rock and Roll Junkie, Primal Scream, Angela, 
and Teaser. Angel is great. Teaser, Primal Scream is my favorite Motley okay. Cruiser. No, you just redeemed yourself. You shocked me when you said the the greatest hits, but but those songs are stellar. so. You know, when I was growing up, I wasn't the uh, the biggest uh, Motley Crue fan until Doctor Feelgood came out. And, you know, this kind of was supposed to tide people over to the uh, the next album. Unfortunately, that would be another six or seven years before they did one with Neil. But the songs Rock and Roll Junkie, Primal Scream, Angela, and Teaser, man, I love. Teaser's actually a cover of a, a Mark Boland song, I think. But Rock and Roll Junkie, wasn't that on the Ford Fairlane soundtrack with Andrew Dice Clay? I don't know. That sounds but, right. Uh, that sounds but right. But Angela, but Primal Scream, you know, they play, they've, yeah. ever since it came out, it gets played every tour. Nicky said that's like, like, I think that's one of his favorite bass lines of his own. Oh, yeah. Down. And the slide playing of Mick, Mick Mars, the monster, you know, on this, uh, this, uh, this song. Yeah, like I said, when that album came out, it's, it's you know, it's their greatest hits up until that point. But the the new songs on the and it also had uh, Anarchy in the UK on it, uh, Sex Pistols. Which song. is actually a halfway decent cover. Yeah, which they would played a lot on that when they got and back I'm, together. I'm a Sex Pistols fan. That's a halfway decent yeah. cover. Anyway, it it was definitely a more a little more glam than than you know some of the other stuff they've done. And, and you might could even say, with the exception of Primal Scream, could have been a little bit more pop oriented uh, type music. But when that album came out, listened to it a lot, and I think they released a like a Almost like a documentary video that accompanied accompanied the uh, the album, but you know that would be the last music they would make with Vince Neil for a while until the you know aforementioned uh, self titled Crew album. So I knew that one was going to be a curveball, and it's going to take me a moment to explain myself. But uh, sadly, this album's out of print, and so uh, in order to get these songs, you have to go to some of the rarities of slash I think box set was it music. To, crash your car to yeah, or something right. like that that's right. it's on but anyway those four songs I, I loved played them a lot in high yeah. school and uh, really liked them yeah, might no, as well stick with the crew <laughs> yeah I, I, I agree a- a- Angela I mean geez I hadn't thought about it in a while but, I mean that, that that's a great song I mean that uh, I mean was heart, it when, this, heart, when, when heart, the wind screams Angela yeah, Angela, Angela I'll, I'll be there I'll be for there. you I mean heart, and the riff of that song Nick Mars I mean it was Hard to top that. I agree. So you, so yeah, you, 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 you did. You needed time to explain <laughs> that, but uh, but I hear your logic there because not only, I mean teaser as well was right. was a great great song. Primal Scream. I almost forget Primal Scream was not on a proper Motley Crue album. It was such a big hit and such a monster of a song. I forget that it was kind of you know an add-on to that Greatest Hits album, but, but you know, Primal Right, it's Scream. like normally when you get Greatest Hits albums that have songs, new songs on, they're usually throwaway songs, or like in the case of Kiss Alive 2, they put those four songs at the end that they've never played, you yeah. know, since then. But these were stellar, stellar yeah, tracks. Agreed, agreed. I think it's a good pick. I think it's a good pick. And I'm not surprised to hear you say it's one of Nikki Six's favorite bass lines because it's one of the few Motley Crue songs where the bass Your guitar bass. is the lead. Yeah, so, you know, that That makes... feel good. <laughs> So while we're at Motley Crue, I know they're one of you guys' favorite bands, so there's no way that y'all don't have Yeah, we're album. probably going to stay on them for another album or two. So yeah. Go ahead and take it, Kate. Yeah, I'll take it, man. Listen, I'm, I'm, if I'm, you know, I, I, I tried to stay with... Um, hey, can I interrupt real quick? Sure. I like Caden's notes. He has poison, and he does, and he has it in green pen, and the writing <laughs> is like poison's writing. So anyway, go ahead. Yep, no, no, yeah. I mean, if I... I, I don't think I'm capable of writing the word poison without doing the poison logo, to be honest. Ever since, like, sixth grade, it's impossible. So, yeah, I've got the classic poison P there. 
Um, Motley Crue. So on my list, I, 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 we didn't set any rules for each other for this podcast, um, but but I, I set kind of a rule for myself and said I was just going to do um, one one album from from each band. I wasn't going to do multiples. Um, so for me, for Motley Crue, even if I did do multiples, hands down for me, it's Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. 1983, this sucker went four times platinum. Tom Warman, again, at the production board for this. Um, this is an incredible album. I mean, the first thing that grabs me about this album is the cover. I mean, I can literally remember being a kid and being you know, 11, 12 years old, and, and the cover of this album, you know, doing a combination of scaring the crap out of me and also just pulling me in. Um, uh, what an album. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you, you've got your standouts on here and your staples, like Too Young to Fall in Love, Looks That Kill, Shout at the Devil, but also you've got some deeper tracks on here. My personal favorite, my personal favorite on this whole record is 10 Seconds to Love. I mean, I love that song. Second. Knock on Dead Kid. I mean, Nikki Six wrote that for Lita Ford when she was up and coming. Um, incredible, incredible album. I'm going to tell you one fun fact and then I'll be quiet. The intro for In the Beginning, before Shout at the Devil, which literally scared the daylights out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> Um, but that was that was narrated by a guy named Jeff Workman. He was the engineer of this record. So Tom Werman produced it. Jeff Workman was the engineer. Um, this Jeff guy um, was a musician back in the day, and he was actually in a band called The Feel Goods that toured with the Beatles and opened up for the Beatles. So the narrator for In the Beginning, one of the most satanic-sounding intros, um, I, I, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, wow, you were in a band that opened up for the Beatles, and, you know, it's a... Uh, it's uh, just kind of a, 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 a fun fact, but a Motley Crue shout at the devil, you know, one of my top five of all time. Incredible album. Yeah, and I had, so when we were doing this, I said I had, um, I was telling, just before we did this, I was telling both David and, and Kate that I had two crew, or two, I, had, I told them I had two albums by one artist on my list. This is the band, and um, this is one of the albums. And I was debating so much back and forth as far as which one would be the main one. And that's why I finally decided, okay, I'm going to just pick them both. I can't pick one. So Shout at the Devil is just, like Caden said, I would agree with him. Ten Seconds to Love. Um, so many good ones on here, though. The, the song Shout at the Devil. Um, Too Young to Fall in Love. Knock Him Dead Kid. The, the cover of Helter Skelter is just incredible. That The album beginning to end is so good. And he's talking about the cover. When we did our covers episode, I picked this one. I love this cover. I love this album. Um, did it scare it, you when you were a kid like me? I mean, I just remember seeing that thinking. I wouldn't. Here's the thing. <laughs> when I was a certain age, I wouldn't have listened to something like this because I would have thought that I was going to go to hell. Yeah, for listening to something like or, that. Or your mom was going to throw it away. Oh, yeah, that's because she, she absolutely would have. But, but yeah, I mean, it is a freaky cover. Um, at least then. Now it's, now it's not. But you know, another kind of just quick fun fact. I've heard people, internet chat boards, etc. I've heard a lot of people compare Poison. Look what the cat dragged in that album cover. The layout uh, to two things. 
One, Motley Crue shouted the devil because you had the four boxes with the, the band's, each mm-hmm. member's picture. I've also heard people compare it to the Beatles' Let It Be or Van Halen's debut album where it had kind of had the, the, That's all the, true. the four. But, um, you know, I, I can see that with Motley Crue shouted the devil. I mean, you kind of had the four boxes. And I could, definitely see a, I could definitely see them kind of ripping off the Beatles somewhat on that. I'd never even thought about mm-hmm. that. And then Poison ripping them off. But... No, I love this record. It was so tough. It was basically, it's like 1A and 1B. And depending on what day it is, A and B are going to be different. So, I'm going to get to the other one. The debut. Mm. Too Fast for Love. This record is so cool. This record is, to me, kind of like the way Maiden's debut record is metal with little hints of punk. And if, if somebody says that to Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, you might get punched in the teeth. He mm. hates punk that much. But I'm sorry, it, it was punk sound. Same way this record yeah. was. There are punk elements to this. More, more than hints, I felt like, in this album. Yeah. More, more it, than hints of punk. It's got it, a punky attitude. There, there's so many good tunes on this. Um, you know, the singles, the one that everybody knows, is going to be Live Wire and Piece of Your Action, which are basically, you know, Later on, the song we just said, we love, we, we love 10 Seconds to Love. They all fit a certain narrative here. Um, I think people even figured it out. But um, on this album, Public Enemy number one, uh, the song Too Fast for Your Love, On With the Show, Starry, Starry Eyes. Eyes is where oh, I was man. going next. Starry Eyes, forget about it. And I literally love every tune on this record. And the remaster of it, too, has a Toast of the Town, which Pretty Boy Floyd covered on their debut album. I don't know how that worked out to where Pretty Boy Floyd was able to get a throwaway track of Motley Crue to put on their debut, but they did. I wonder if they were on Elektra as well. They weren't. I think they're on MCA. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're on MCA. Pretty Boy Floyd was on MCA. So I don't know how that came up. I don't know if it was management something, but, but anyway, they also did a really cool, there's a cover song called Tonight which is uh, The Raspberries. It was a cover of that. So, and Stick to Your Guns was another one. So this album, I mean, I think if you're going to buy it, you're really going to have the only option to buy the remaster, and that's the one you want because the bonus tracks. When Motley Crue remastered all these albums, I thought this was the best remaster because it had the best, it had it the probably, best new songs But on it, it also probably had the most room to work with as far as upgrading the production on it. That, but but just the songs. I mean, Kate, wouldn't you say that of the remasters of the Crew album, this was the best because it had the best remasters, the best new songs on it that you yeah, hadn't yeah. heard? No, they were the, the bonus tracks were were, were killer. Close to the town tonight. Stick to your guns. But but you know, honestly, uh, you know, that this will probably be the only time on this whole podcast I'll disagree with you legitimately. One of my favorite things about this album, like I said about "Look What the Cat Dragged In," is the demo esque type quality. I love the production on this album. I love that it sounds like it's recorded in somebody's mom's garage. To me, that's what gave it that punky feel. I love the fact that it almost sounded, you know, like a low budget type because it was. Um, I, I really felt that added to it. This comes up often on these podcasts with David and I, it's where he he uh, dislikes something because of production. And, and that's that's great. I mean, that's his that's his taste. I go more the way you do, Caton. I think there's a, and I've said this before on a podcast. To me, there's a beauty and a lack of production. 
that raw demo sound. But anyway, we'll stay on the crew for another hour if you don't take over. Well, let's let's go to their <laughs> let's go to their most polished album, which is uh, Doctor Feelgood. And you know, I probably should have mentioned that one on our uh, album covers podcast. That's, that's a cool a, one. That's yeah. a very cool, especially album. with those tiles in the yeah. background. Yeah, it's an incredible album cover. In fact, I was late meeting Chris and David today um, because I was at a uh, a um, a pool party with some uh, some friends today, and my friend whose house I was at has a Doctor Feelgood um, tattoo on his on his arm. So he's got this. So we had this conversation. And I told him today. I said, "Hey." If I ever was going to get a tattoo when I was a kid, I always said it was going to be the Dr. Feelgood, you know. And it's kind of faded now. And he said, you know, I think I'm going to go in and get it, get it uh, kind of like partially removed so I can get it, I can get it upgraded and fully. So it's it's funny you say that's a, a, a really cool album It's a really cool because, album uh, cover. You know, <laughs> you know, supposedly this is, they were quote unquote sober when they did this one. But uh, it's one of those albums that I can put on and go from beginning to end and not stop, and there's really no filler. Uh, standout tracks to me are Rattlesnake Shake, Dr. Feelgood. Uh, I think Without You is one of the better ballads mm. of, Agreed. Of, of the time. And, you no know, question, David. And I, Mixed best playing, too, yes, in my opinion. Yes, and one of the things that made me so mad was I don't think when they I think when I saw them the when they got back together they like played the first part of that and then played maybe the worst song ever recorded Glitter hmm. I thought you were going to go with Brandy yeah, yeah well, I think you're yeah. right Kate that's the worst Brandy one. was pretty bad sorry Tommy but the album it's, it's very slick it's very polished but I mean you know it, it sounds great um, Without You is just a you know, yeah, amazing guitar playing on that, and of course, you know they got the hits. Stop my heart, yeah. same old situation. I, I personally thought the best ballad and one of the the best ballad of this album, and and even probably more so than uh, without you, in my opinion, and and maybe of the genre. I mean, it's it's man, can we say criminally underrated three times on this podcast? I'm not sure, but. <laughs> Time for change? Holy smokes, kids. Are you kidding can, me? Can I jump in on that one real Please quick? Do. I just want to say I remember As long as you're agreeing. This with is me. a good yeah, this is a good story. I was in sixth grade. This is what makes this podcast great. When we can actually back it up with these little stories. I was in sixth grade. It was one of the last it was one of the last like last week, I guess, of sixth grade. And I remember we're about to leave, you know, because now schools, I think they go K through five, most of them. This was K through six. I was about to enter middle school. And I remember listening to this song, Time for Change, and it was my theme song. <laughs> I literally took on this song as my theme song. And, I mean, I, this album was probably, I mean, it was the main thing I listened to in sixth grade. And that's what I always, even today, if I hear Time for Change, I think of this transition from sixth grade to seventh grade. I cannot listen to that song and not think of that. But that song, and then Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away, which, great, great title. And I have been there with that same feeling. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I love the album. Yeah, you know, and they recently, well, not recently, like several years ago, they toured on the anniversary of that and did... Uh, the whole album and you know I don't think they'd ever played Time for Change he was at one of the shows and yeah. he got to hear it yep yeah so yeah definitely um, did the whole album top to bottom 
I saw him in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, it was cool for that one yeah. song. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a great album. Um, I'm not going to bring up the self-titled one really with Karabi, just other than I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Uh, I think it's amazing. I think much as uh, Richie Kotzen elevated Poison, um, John Karabi elevated Tommy Lee and Mick Mars for sure. Uh, the drumming on the self-titled album is killer. And we talked about the remasters. We, you know, they remastered it. They released uh, three-quarters of what was called Quaternary, which was an album they put out, an EP that they put out along with the self-titled album. And it has actually one of my favorite songs of theirs on. It's called Living in the Know and another song called Baby Kills and Hypnotize that's really good. So if you get the remastered album, you get those those songs thrown in as well. One final point too on Motley Crue. I was telling you that this, you know, before Caden showed up, and Caden, if you haven't seen these, check them out. They're on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know where else you, else you can get them, but it's a it's a docu series called uh, Inside Metal Pioneers of L.A. And Don Dockin is talking about Motley Crue, and he talks about Mick Mars. And I think it was really cool because Mick Mars is not always thought about as the greatest player. He said. Without Mick Mars, I don't think they become as successful. He said those riffs and that sound. He said nobody sounded like him. He had an awesome tone. Nobody sounded like that's kind of what Dokken was talking about. Had an about. incredible guitar tone that was unique, especially when you listen to albums like Too Fast. That's a, it was a different sound. You know, and he he wanted to be more of a. He's Jeff Beck, Jeff Beck's his hero. Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix style stuff than he would, uh, you know, what Motley Crue went on to do. Well, we covered most of the Crue discography there, so uh, I brought up Doctor Feelgood, so I'm going to toss it back around to Caton. All right, all right. My my uh, my next pick is uh, the debut album from Cinderella, Night Songs, 1986. Uh, this sucker sold over three million albums. Uh, eventually, Andy Johns was uh, behind the production board. He did Led Zeppelin, multiple engineered multiple Led Zeppelin albums, Humble Pie. Uh, he did For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge by Van Halen. So again, another one of those monster producers. But Cinderella, Philadelphia band. Um, you know, this is one where uh, I, I loved their look when I was a kid as much as I loved their sound. Uh, the cover. Um, for for night songs, I absolutely loved it. Oddly enough, uh, that metal show um, and Eddie Trunk, that group, uh, they actually ranked this in the top ten worst album covers, but for great albums. So they, you know, they worst album covers, but it's attached right. to a great album. They, cool had, cover. they had night songs on there. I completely disagree. I thought it was an incredible album cover. In fact, when I was a kid for five six years, I thought Tom Kiefer only had one leg. Because one of his legs is hidden behind right. the, I remember, uh, I remember one of the jacket. Kind of um, yeah, and so I remember like, well, this guy's... But anyway, um, I, I love this album. I mean, you had Save Me, Nobody's Fool, Night Songs, which I just thought was incredible. Push Push. I mean, you know, even back then in 86 when this was released, it's easy now to say, oh, it's kind of got a blues feel to it. It legitimately did. It was different. This, this album was differentiated from other... Um, albums of that time. It had a blues feel to it. It was really, really cool. Um, a few things. Were they, were they a Bon Jovi discovery? Well, or? I was just about to say, that's funny that you lead into this. Most people think so. Most people think so. And ultimately, I think yes. 
But I've heard Tom Kiefer interviewed before, and he has said that it was actually Gene Simmons that first discovered and took notice of them. And Gene Simmons actually mentioned to to Polygram um, his interest in the band and uh, and and etc. Uh, for whatever reason, that did not lead to uh, a record deal. And John Bon Jovi then after the fact, revisited that with Polygram and said, I really think you should give these guys a listen. Polygram signed Cinderella to a six-month development deal. They did not even give them a full-on record deal initially. It was a six-month development deal at the urging of John Bon Jovi. So I think ultimately, yes, you're you're definitely right. Um, I'll tell you something that's interesting here. And it just kind of shows you it's an example of how far-reaching music can be and how it can cross over different genres. Tom Kiefer and Lizzie Hale of the band Hellstorm are great, great friends. Um, they've uh, uh, when when she's in Nashville or he's in Nashville. I know he lives there. She may as well. Um, but they've played together several times where she's come up on stage. They do nobody's fool. They, they do kill it. it. They do nobody's fool like nobody's business, David. You're right. But he gave her for one of her birthdays, and I, I just personally thought this was just an incredible story. He gave her the lapel pin, the piece of little costume jewelry that he's wearing on his right lapel pin on the Night Songs album cover. And he gave that to her for a random birthday. He said, we were going out with a group, and it was her birthday. We were celebrating her birthday. And he said, I was thinking, I need to, I, I want to get her something unique. And he said, I was rummaging around the house, and I, I, I looked in my, you know, the, you know, jewelry shelf, whatever. And I saw this, and I thought, you know, I've had this sitting here, and I haven't worn it since 86. She will know what this is without me telling her. And that tells me I should give it to her. She'll love this. And he gave it to her. And he said, it's nothing special, but I know that you'll realize what this is. And their next album, Hellstorm, uh, called Into the Wildlife, she wore that same lapel pin on her right hip. She wore it on her jeans. He had it on his right lapel pin. And she said that they were working with a top-notch New York or L.A. stylist for that album cover. And she went in and said, all options are open but I just want to tell you one thing. I don't care what's in style or who you are. You have to incorporate this into the photo shoot. I will. I will be wearing this lapel pin. That's very and cool. And she wore it. And then so. And she told Tom Kiefer. Um, he got a a, a a hold of the fact that uh, that was on the album cover. And he said, "Is that really the same pin?" And she said, "Yeah." And she sent him an email. And she said, "Tradition. We gotta we gotta keep it rolling through." And I thought that was so so cool. Yeah. Well, I have a Cinderella album on my list. Do you, Chris? I don't. The only thing I would add is Night Songs. I mean, not, not nobody's full. Just that intro. That intro alone is so cool. It was so different from any of those bands. Such, yeah, such a great band. And that, that I remember when that came out, the song Nobody's Fool was, I don't know if you guys remember or not, on a TBS on Friday and Saturday nights, they had a thing called Night Tracks that played from like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. There's nothing but videos, and I would that back then, you know, you could have VCRs that were could record up to six hours, and so uh, I would record every weekend. I would record six hours of videos um, and have, and that one caught my eye. The Cinderella album that I have is uh, Heartbreak Station. Mm. Uh, that was uh, I. 
came out, I guess, in 91, 92, or maybe 90, actually. Um, anyway, it was a more, I guess if you want to call it more mature, a little bluesier than, than the, the previous two albums. But it was an album that I listened to a lot back then. And I love the song um, Heartbreak Station. And then the other single from it, Shelter Me, is just fun. It's fun to hear. You know, they play it great. And, you know, this album kind of was more of a went in the blues direction, which, you know, Kiefer doesn't get the credit, I think, that he deserves for being a great musician because for all intents and purposes, he was a guitar player in that band too. I mean, he I think he did most of the solos on the – in concert, he did, does a lot of the solos. I'm sure he did a lot of them uh, on the album, and, you know, he was the principal songwriter. Unfortunately, he's been, you know, marred with just numerous vocal issues his uh, entire career and uh, has a solo album out now that's actually pretty good. Really good, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, and he's still uh, touring on it. Be a Heartbreak Station was one that um, – that I listen to a lot, and it, it's definitely a more mature sound than some of the other albums and bands we're talking about. But uh, nonetheless, it was a, a good album, sold well, and I think they had they did a headlining tour on that one, um, and I think they just released a uh, video, a concert video from Tokyo or something like that from that tour. But anyway, uh, it was one I listened to a lot, and they're a great band. Their other album, Lone Cold Winter. You could make a case for throwing it in sure. there as well. Sure. Uh, it actually, to me, top to bottom, may have been more consistent than Heartbreak Station. It's just Heartbreak Station had some songs on it that I really, really liked. Yeah, Heartbreak Station, I thought, was an incredible album. I mean, I, I'll be brief. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the song itself, the ballad, Heartbreak Station, you know, I, I think that was one of the most sincere-sounding, um, you know, uh, ballads um, I, I I loved it. I, I thought that was an incredible, incredible ballad. To me, that was the best song on the album. But there were some other ones. There were some deeper tracks on that album um, that were really, really cool. Uh, you know, what was the one? Free Like the Wind. That was the chorus. The More Things Change. The More Things Change. Um, Shelter Me, as you say. Great album. Great album, yeah. And Tom Kiefer's solo album is is incredible. I would encourage people to check it out. It's called The Way Life Goes. And it doesn't it's, it doesn't necessarily sound like a Cinderella album. Mm. Some of some of the songs do, but some more low key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely more low key. Alright, I'm gonna go with one that I know we're probably gonna stick on for a couple of records. And um they were one of the first bands we mentioned, what feels like at least a couple hours ago. Um LA Guns. And I'm going with the debut. You know, a lot of people probably this would not necessarily be the the first pick for them. It may be Cocked and Loaded, maybe even Hollywood Vampires. But this album, kind of like when I was talking about Fashion Pussycat at the beginning, it's pure L.A. sleaze metal. There's not even a ballad on this album. I mean, it's just straight up sleaze metal beginning and end, and. I think of an album, and I know it's probably gonna it's gonna come up, cocked and loaded, which is a great record. There are a couple of moments in that album that I think are a little bit weak. I mean, they're they're not necessarily terrible songs, but it's it, it I think it slows down a couple of points. I feel like the debut from LA Guns, beginning to end, it just rocks. I mean, the first track, No Mercy, and Sex Action, One More Reason, Electric Gypsy. I mean, I'm going on and on. Nothing to lose. One, Kate and you and I have talked about shoot for thrills. That chorus. Mm. Um, 
I just think it's a really, really cool record that really, I mean, I, I guess they didn't really have a lot of success until Cocked and Loaded when they had Ballad of Jane. But this album to me is, it's my favorite one. And they put out several good records. Now, let's have all the fun at their expense. That's the original lineup of LA Guns. Well, there's only one now. Right now, but I mean... Oh, are you talking about the way they have two of them on the road? Yeah, yeah. but they're back together. Now. Well, Riley's not in the band. But, Tracy uh, and Phil Riley are back and, together. Yeah, now. Riley and Tracy hate each other. And yeah. I think Tracy pretty much gave gave Phil the uh, the option was kind of what I've understood. And uh, what, as far as if we're going to get back together, Riley's not going to be part one of, of it, the so. one of the great that metal show episodes is when they have Tracy Guns on there, and he's kind of trying to be, you know, walk a, walk a line there, not you know really get into it. And then Eddie Trunk's like, man, what do you what is the real problem? And you just have to. I'm not going to repeat some of the language you used, but it is a it is a funny which, funny moment. Which, by the way, here's the thing about Tracy. That guy seems like such a nice guy. And if you meet him in person, he's such a nice guy. But he can't work with anybody, you know. So it's right. like, what? That's the weird thing about it. Is it seems like he he comes off as such a nice guy, but yet nobody can work with him. So it's like, is it just as a facade that he's putting out there, and he's actually a total, you know what? Right. Well. Kate, because I'm a Hollywood Vampires guy, so I'm gonna let you talk about the, the debut album a little bit more. Because I'm I'm just familiar with the songs off it. Yeah, you know, yeah. On the radio. So I'm, I'm I'm also a, a Hollywood Vampires guy. It's an incredible album. Um, yeah, the date the debut is great. I mean, you know, Chris and I have seen L.A. Guns a few times over the last few years, both Phil's version and Tracy's version. Um, unfortunately enough, they played in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, two weeks ago, Phil and Tracy together, um, and uh, I, I was out of town, and Chris had a conflict, so neither of us actually were able to make that show. But no, this is a great, great debut album. Uh, sex action, as he said. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff on this. Shoot for thrills, no mercy. A great album. Um, I dig it completely. If I'm gonna pick an album, as I've been invited to do this week by L.A. Guns, um, for me personally, it's gonna be Cocked and Loaded, their second album. Um, 1989, this came out, Vertigo Records. I mean, I think from the intro on, I mean, the intro of this song, um, letting go into the first song, Slap in the Face, I think it stands up as one of the coolest intros um, of, of this era, to be honest with you. I think it's great the way it bleeds into that first track. Um, side two, side B, if you will, um, I agree, Chris. I think it's got some filler. Um, but overall, I think this is an incredible album. I mean, are you kidding me? Rip and Tear, Never Enough, Ballad of Jane. My personal favorite on the record, I Want to Be Your Man, wasn't a hit. Oh, my gosh, the riff in that thing just knocks your socks off. It, you know, this was a great band, man. Tracy, Phil, I always really liked the bass player for some reason. I didn't play bass. I don't know why I did. I just thought he looked cool. Kelly Nichols. Um, and Originally in Faster Pussycat, by the way. That's right. That's right. And Steve Steve Riley. Um, you know, a fun fact about this album is, is, you know, this is called Cocked and Loaded. This came out in 89. And Robin Zander and Rick Nelson from Cheap Trick guest, guest starred on this album. Both background vocals, just vocals. Um, in 2006, both of those same guys, Robin and Rick from Cheap Trick, guested on a, a album by the Revolving Cox, also called Cocked and Loaded. 
Nice. That's pretty ironic, I thought. And thanks to the internet, or I would not have known that, but I, I looked it up and there it goes. Um, it's a good album. I don't know what else to say about it, really. Um, it's you know this is the first album that Steve Riley played drums on. The debut album he didn't play on. He's in the photo. He's in the I credits. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in the credits. He's on. He's uh, on the album. Um, but they had a guy um, that you know he shuffled along, and Steve came in, and I don't know what the story was there. But uh, first album that Steve Riley played on, the Ballad of Jane. I, I think it's personally one of the better ballads of it the is. genre. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Um, the, the song for me that really sticks out, the first 20 seconds of Never Enough, it's mm-hmm. hard to beat. That The riff uh, the, the riff going into that song. And I always get Ballad of Jane. I always want to put it with uh, House of Pain by Faster Pussycat because they literally came out at the same time. And we're on like, you know, the MTV in the afternoon, the afternoon show. They were always on there, you know, kind of battling one another. Yeah, it's, I can't argue with you on that. Yeah, Here's the thing about Cawthon Load, and I said this to Caton. The songs, the 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 top songs on, on Cawthon Loaded are as good as anything they've ever done. And maybe better than anything on the debut. But the debut, beginning to end, More consistent. I don't have to skip anything. And I'm going to skip if I put on Cawthon Loaded. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, Cawthon Loaded was the one that definitely kind of blew them up as far as, you know, the mainstream and the MTV. I I happen to like Hollywood Vampires. Just um, I do too. I, I love the song "Kiss My Love Goodbye," and it's over now. Over the edge is what I love. Yeah, it's over now. That that's a um, that's a um, a ballad unlike any of the other power ballads that we had um, at that time. Crystal so, Eyes is a great. Crystal ballad Eyes too. is great oh, too. Crystal Eyes is great. All right, so I'm going to go with an obscure pick here. Another Memphis band, Tora Tora, and I'm going to go with the album Wild America, which was their second album. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with their a lot of their first album, Phantom Rider and uh, Walking Shoes and Riverside Drive were, you know, modest hits. But this album, uh, to me, is uh, is one of the better ones uh, that came out, and I guess in that final wave. And you can make an argument that that they're probably not a hair band, but. Uh, songs like uh, "Dead Man's Hand," "Nowhere to Go But Down," uh, great, great out, uh, great songs. "Faith Healer," um, you know, and they—I um, think I'm getting made fun of over here. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not. You're no, not. We're, we're actually jotting notes saying this may go on for another two hours. Oh yeah, not, I, I like this record, honey. Yeah, I'm okay. not going to bash you on this. <laughs> anyway, it, it's it's a much more mature sounding album and. They, uh, you know, they got substantially more airplay than the other Memphis band we talked about, Roxy Blue, and I think, you know, with their sound, they maybe could have weathered the storm a little bit. You know, they recorded a third album. I think it's called Revolution Day or Revolution Revolution Day, and um, it didn't get released until just a few years ago uh, because of you know record label issues, but. Uh, this is a great album and uh, listen to it a lot it's not on Spotify uh, so if you want to listen to it on Spotify you're not going to find it there it is on iTunes uh, the song Amnesia great song great you know guitar riff on that but so I, I know Kate correct me if I'm wrong you're not just a huge fan of Tor Tor right I think I, is that right I know Chris I, is Chris is I, I, I'm a, a, I, I'm not like a, corner, a, of, right? of, of the Memphis of the Memphis I, I, I'm a legitimate fan of Roxy Blue 
I'm a legitimate fan of Every Mother's Nightmare. And if we don't get there, by the way, people pick up, wake up screaming by Every We're Mother's going there Nightmare. next, just okay. so we can stay on, so but, we don't forget. But to me, Toro Toro is my third of the Memphis bands. Um, I, I, I was not the biggest fan. I have both albums, the first one, this one. I even have Revolution Day that they released. Yeah. Um, I, I like spots of it. But there was, there was... There was there was some reason that I didn't do a full connection with Tora Tora. To me, I don't the, know be, what it was. the better songs on the album are the ones that aren't necessarily the rocking songs. They're the more kind of bluesy, mid tempo. Um, you know, lay your money down. Nowhere uh, to go but down. Yeah, Dead man's hand. Yeah, uh, faith healer. Uh, those are all great songs. Uh, you know. Chris, you know, growing up in Memphis, you were inundated with them on Rock 103. They yeah, played and, all the time. And my guitar teacher at the time, we've um, he uh, Anthony Cordner was his best friend growing up, so I always knew about this band. And um, so I mean, he was all. I mean, he's told me the story about how Anthony Cordner, the first time they discovered he was going to be a singer, Mike was actually playing guitar, and Anthony he handed Anthony a uh, Anthony had a little. Uh, toilet paper roll and started singing into it and Mike's like wow you, you sound pretty good and that was the first time they ever discovered Anthony was really a singer um, so I've always been aware of this band just because of my connection with Mike the old guitar teacher I had but I like this album it was kind of a fitting theme we have here lately a little late it was a little late um, they weren't super glam and, and I've for the record, I would categorize them in the glam category, but they were more Tesla, Cinderella type kind of. Yeah, they were more Tesla than they were Poison. Yeah. Um, I agree. Not not super glam. Not yeah, they weren't a makeup me. band. They weren't. I mean, they were they were jeans and you know long hair, but not teased up and and no makeup. I mean, to be fair, guys. I mean, honestly, to be fair, because a lot of my opinion today is heavily influenced by. The opinion that I had when I was a 15, 16 year old kid, that 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 could absolutely be one of the reasons that I didn't have an initial connection with them, right? And I did with Roxy Blue, right? They were kind of a little bit more glammed right. up, teased out. Every Mother's Nightmare. Um, so to be fair, that that may be, you know, because musically, I think Tora Tora was there, and I've seen them. I've seen I've seen Tora Tora in the last few mm-hmm. years. And that Tennessee. same show we were talking about, the benefit um, for the bass player, we saw them recently. They are strong musicians. Um, I, I just didn't take the time to invest in them like I have other bands. So I'm just not quite as uh, familiar with the songs. I know the albums, I own them, but I'm just not quite as vested with the songs as, as but, you guys are. But a lot of people love that album. And I know you've talked about this before, David, that your, your boy Eddie Trunk, he um, really thought this album was going to be huge. And yeah. a lot of people did. And I remember Mike, again, I'm going back to my guitar teacher, telling me, Anthony was coming over, showing him all the videos and all the like the the stuff they had done for the for um, for Amnesia and different samples they had. And I mean, the label was ready; they were going to be the next big thing. Well, yeah, it just didn't happen. And, and Trunk was one of the ones given the job of helping to promote them um, in that in that area of the country. So, yeah, it's a shame they didn't weren't bigger than they were, but they did have a, a decent amount of uh, success on MTV. Well, Caton. Well, before I, I, I don't mean okay. to skip. I want to intervene because I want to stay on Memphis, and then okay. we're going to go back to Caton. Because let's yeah, just wrap should. this up. We mentioned Roxy Blue. We mentioned Tora Tora. Now let's go to the other of the Memphis bands, Every Mother's Nightmare. 
This was their second record, Wake Up Screaming. Oh, killer. The first one got a little bit of a buzz, and, and that one came out probably 90, 91, and it had, had Love Can Make You Blind, which was, I'd say, a moderate success. I mean, they may have had the most success of any of the Memphis bands just because of that song. But this album came out in 1993. Again, reoccurring theme, it was too late. This album, three years earlier, I think would have been huge. These bands were as Van Halen, or Roxy Blue was considered by some a Van Halen ripoff. Some people have considered them a Skid Row ripoff, but they were actually before Skid Row. This record is so good, Mm. and it's one of those ones I can put on right now. And is it dated? Sure. But I don't want to skip anything. No, it's so good. I really don't want to skip. You know, House of Pain, I Hate Myself. My God, that's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> um, already, if I Had My Way. Already Gone. If I Had My Way is a great ballad. If you talk about power ballad, yeah. that's a powerful yeah. ballad. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting hit by yeah. power on that one. Slip and Fall. Man, there's so many. Yeah. I mean, even the David Lee Roth cover, um, Tobacco Road. Yeah. That's such a good yeah. album. I mean, this yeah. this album did not stand a chance released in '93. No. If this had been if if this album had been released in '90 90 or '91 when that debut came out, and you put "Love Can Make You Blind" on this album and throw out one of the others, I think that's a major major hit. Yeah, you know, I I didn't realize until you just said it, and I'm looking at the CD. You're absolutely right. I I did I had no appreciation that this came out in '93. That's kind of mind boggling because you're right. About it it. Love can make you blind is on that record, and that's the yeah, debut. Yeah, that could have been huge. But this this album's great. Those those few that Chris mentioned. If I had my way, slip and fall. Especially I hate myself. Do okay. yourself a favor. Check that song out. I hate myself. Um, one of my favorite, definitely my favorite album of any of the Memphis Three, Tora Tora, Roxy Blue, Every Mother's Nightmare. I might have to second that. This is definitely my favorite album of 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 any of them. Um, and guys, it's making our list of some of some of our favorite glam albums. So yeah. I mean, it's not just good for Memphis. Right. It's, it's a good good record. I always forget that they're a Memphis band. Yeah. For some reason, I always had it. They were a Nashville band. But yeah, I always forget that they If you look them up on Wikipedia, it says out of Nashville. But Rick Rule, the singer, born and raised here, he still lives here. I mean, I, he plays here a decent amount. Yeah. I've seen him, like, I've seen him at a, I ran into him at a gas station. Yeah. I mean, he lives here. Yeah. All right, guys. My, my next pick <coughs> is, uh, I'm going a little, a little deeper, one layer below, but many people should still be familiar. And that's uh, Bang Tango. Dancing on Coals is the album. Um, this came out in 1991, MCA Records. This was uh, the follow-up after Psycho Cafe. Psycho Cafe is the one that had a bit of commercial success. Um, it had um, Someone Like You. And th- this album, though, Dancing on Coals, um, was, was, this was the album for me for Bang Tango. I, I thought it was incredible. I mean, you had... Joe Lestay, the lead singer, the bass player, Kyle Cal, um, one of the best bass players of this genre, in my opinion. Again, Cal Cal, Bang Tango, one of the bass play, best bass players of this genre, hands down. Uh, I mean, they, they had such a solid connection on this record that just really translated well, I thought. Some standouts on this album are um, a song called Last Kiss, 
the title track, Dancing on Coals, Soul to Soul. And I'm going to tell you what, Midnight Struck is a ballad. And, and I'm just telling you, if the time was right or perhaps a bigger band had released that, this could have been an absolutely iconic song and an iconic uh, ballad for this genre. It just, the timing wasn't right or it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be for these guys. But uh, Bang Tango, they're one of my favorite bands, I'll be honest. This is an incredible album. Dressed Up Vamp is another song I didn't mention. I mean, seriously, do yourself a favor. And uh, and check this album out. I don't know if either the, of you guys have a They're a band that I always forget about. And you know they were man, they were all in the magazines. Uh, you know when they uh, when they were out, but I always forget about them. Look, this band is musically above almost every single glam band. I know Kate was talking about Kyle Kyle. They had two guitarists. I think one of them's name is Martin Knight. I can't remember the other. But they were both so good. Joe Lestay, great vocalist. I mean, the musicianship on the album is not what you were used to. And I just think, like Caden said, I mean, Midnight Struck, an incredible ballad. The opening track, Soul to Soul, uh, Last Kiss, Dressed Up Vamp is about as cool as it gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dancing on Coals, that guitar intro. This album was, it was so, so good. And I mean, I. Yeah, they know, were great players. It, You're right. As you say, they were great. And we haven't, neither of us have said this. You know, we talk about like, you know, Faster Pussycat or, or Big Bang Babies. And we're like, well, they were kind of a shove genre. You know, they were, they were a little bit sleaze. They were a little bit that. You know, we haven't said this about Bang Tango. They, they were different. They were different. They incorporated funk. They were funk. They were they were soulful. They were different than your average glam band. That's a fact. They they listen, guys. They had a little bit of like Chili Peppers esque to them. The bass playing, Cal Cal, as Chris said, the, the the guitar duo. I mean, Mark Knight, Cal Stevens. They were great. I mean, the musicianship was really really solid. Some funk, you know. Um, a different type of band, um, definitely in that glam category. Um, I love them. I love a lot of what Bang Tango has done. And, this and, is just one album. And I will say, if you want to learn a little bit more about this band, go to YouTube. Google Bang Tango Documentary mm-hmm. or Bang Tango Attack of Life. That's the name of the movie. Attack of Life, the Bang, the Bang Tango Document... The Bang Tango Movie. Attack of Life, the Bang Tango Movie. Thank kind of, Anvil, the story of Anvil. But, it, it, but, it's, kind, it's kind of like that, but you know where we were talking about Faster Pussycat, a lot of people thought they may be huge. You watch this, and this band kind of blew up really quick, and they thought they were going to be just a monster on the scene, and it just didn't happen. Fizzled out. Yep. Okay. So, next, I'm going to go with one that I think I will not be alone on, and that's going to be Slave to the Grind, Skid Row. Mm. Um, you know, it was only a matter of time before we would get to it. And this record, when it came out, you know, they uh, Skid Row was never a bubblegum glam band. They never were. If you listen to the, if you listen to the debut, it's a rocking record. Um, it's a little bit more aggressive. Has the greatest in, in you know. 
Caden was talking about, and I, I can't even remember what it was, like saying the, maybe the greatest ballad of all time. To me, the debut of Skid Row has the greatest in I Remember You. I think that's the best ballad that has ever been done in hair metal. But the second record, they came out, and they got even further away from anything remotely bubblegum. It's heavy. And they wanted to be Pantera. They loved Pantera. They brought Pantera out on tour for them. They opened, Pantera opened up for them. And you could tell what they wanted to do. They didn't want to be poisoned. Well, the song Slave to the Grind could be a Pantera song. It's <laughs> heavy. I mean, the, and the, the ballads on this are not I Remember You. I mean, I, I love, again, I, it's my favorite ballad. But the ballads on this are dark. They're not happy. In a darkened room is, is top five Jesus. for me. Quick saying Jesus uh, in a darkened room. Wasted time is a killer, killer ballad. Supposedly about Stephen Adler. Did not, I did not know that. He was in, in you know, was kind of. And, and we 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 um we try to keep this podcast clean, but uh, get the f out. It's a great tune. <laughs> it's a really really great tune. Um, and of all the songs we named, is it crazy we didn't even name Monkey Business yet? Right. All right, so random trivia question, boys. What's its claim to fame? The what, what, the record? Yeah. Slave to Grind, claim yeah. to fame? It was the first heavy metal album in the SoundScan era to ever debut at number one. I think I did know that. I think I did which, hear that which before. Was, which was huge, a huge deal. I agree with you. I have this on my list as well as the... Uh, so that may be in the SoundScan era. Yeah. Yes. So I yeah. believe Quite Riot's right. debut album right. was the first... Okay. But, in the Billboard but you know, charts, yeah. I think back then they went with like records shipped and stuff and SoundScan was gotcha. actually records. So um, I, I'm going to have to agree with everything Chris said about the album. Um, I remember when it came out, um, I don't think I'd even heard Monkey Business. And... Uh, I heard Wasted Time was actually the first song I heard. Somebody had bought the album, and I heard that, and I was like, man, that's different. I've got to you know, check that out. And it, it, the album was a game changer for me. And one of the, the best compliments I can pay this album is you can put it in, in my opinion, today, and it doesn't sound dated. Mm. It's heavy, man. It just sounds so heavy. Uh, the three ballads he mentioned are all great. Monkey Business is great. Uh, Riot Act. I mean, great song, Mud Kicker. Um, Mud Kicker, yeah. boy, that was a good uh, one. You're right. Ma- maybe one of my favorites on there, Living on a Chain Gang. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sebastian is at the height of his powers mm. on, on this album. Creep Show. Creep Show. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a bad song on there. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> the, um, it's kind of sad. Well, I actually like the third album, you know, that came after this. I don't think it gets the attention that it, that it should. But yeah, it, it was definitely the best album they ever put out. And one of the best albums, hard rock, heavy metal albums of the 90s, uh, in my opinion. Mm. You ain't old lady and you ain't a tattoo. Right. <laughs> you know, and you talking about the self-titled album, the first album. There's not, it, they put out two straight albums where, there, in my opinion, there's no filler. Mm. I would disagree on that one. I think the first album does, but certainly not Slave. I certainly so not Slave. What's filler on this one? Do you give me the record? Yeah, Slave top to bottom, I think is pro- making I would, a mess. I would probably Midnight tr- Tornado. Uh, making a mess is not a filler. Yeah. Midnight Tornado, I would say is. That's the closest thing on. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe Can't Stand the Heartache, although I really like, I like that the song. song. But I mean, Big Gun, solid. Peace of Me, solid. 18 in Life, Rattlesnake Shake, Sweet You've Gone Wild, sister. Here I Am. Yeah, bro, there's no filler on this thing, in my opinion. Maybe maybe that last track, Midnight. For, for those I mean, of you at home, Caton brought his uh, album collection. So we're, <laughs> so we're passing them we're, around. We're passing yeah. these. Uh, and uh, let's see, this one's actually not autographed. A lot of your other albums are actually, <laughs> actually yeah. uh, autographed. Well, throw uh, that one away. Yeah, the, I'm taking this one home with me. Caton, <laughs> uh, Chris and I have talked enough about Slave to the Grind. Your thoughts on it? I love Slave to the Grind. I mean, you know, listen, it, 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 is it a better album than the debut? Uh, it, 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 it probably is. In fact, I, I, I know that it is. I mean, musically, it's heavier. It, it, it's just great. I mean, you know, I probably have more of a connection with the first album simply because Youth Gone Wild, 18 and Life, Big and guns, I Remember man. You. I mean, I, I'm not sure how I can kind of move past those songs. Um Cool cover too. It's by the cool. Way. I was sitting here looking at. It. We're passing around. I wish you guys could see a video of this. Boz looking up. But uh, "Slave to the Grind" was incredible. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, we all do things when we're young that are not wise, um, or that we, we we regret later. And you know, legitimately, this is not a joke in any fashion. Uh, one of them that I regret is I grew up in Missouri, and uh, in 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, my my mom was not allowing me to go to uh, you know as many concerts as I wanted to, and I had to pick and choose. And she gave me a choice um, within months of each other: uh, Guns and Roses on Use Your Illusion with Skid Row opening on Slave to the Grind, supporting Slave to the Grind. We're playing the Riverport Amphitheater in St. Louis, Missouri, and a few months after that in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, um, Warrant, the Cherry Pie Tour, we're playing with Trickster and Firehouse. And, and, and I mulled on it for a little while and thought about it, and I chose Warrant, Trickster, and Firehouse, and it was an incredible show. Uh, I actually managed to get a backstage pass that night and meet those guys, but the St. Louis show is the infamous riot show where Guns N' Roses uh, and the fans legitimately did millions of dollars of damage to that amphitheater. But the killer part of it is I have this show on DVD, they did about 12 songs before the riot happened. So they had done about 90% of their show before it happened. So you would have gotten Skid Row that night. You would have gotten 90% of a Guns N' Roses show. And you would have been able to have said you were at the St. Louis Guns N' Roses riot show. And I kick myself to this day from choosing not to go to that show. Um, because I could have seen Slave to the Grind in concert and Use Your Illusion. And... Uh, Hopefully, I've. I will say I would have made the same decision. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's Skid Row and Guns N' Roses, and it's not even. It's not even close. You know, when you're when you're a kid, you like different stuff. Well, and, 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 and I think you also think, hey, man, there's three bands instead of two, and you know, I just got the Trickster record, which which I don't know if it makes a list, but that's an incredible. It's an album. honorable mention. You know, it's a, it's an honorable mention. Firehouse when I was a kid. I, I loved that record. It's a little bit more challenging for me to listen to it yeah, now, I can't listen but I to loved it, now. it when I was a kid. But uh, anyway, Slave to the Grind, whoever picked it, I forget. Chris. Stellar. All right, so I'm going to move on to another one. Uh, Stick It To You, the debut album from Slaughter. Um, all right. <laughs> Sorry for the obvious laugh, but Kate and I were texting a couple of nights before saying that was kind of like a firehouse. That we can't listen to now. However, I could, this is, 
this is not going to be making completely fun of that pit no. because there are songs I do still right. like. Spend my life, mad about you. Eye to eye, good songs. Let, no, letting let he did. I thought he did a great job explaining himself on decade of yes. decadence, and that was an odd pick. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't an odd pick. So take no. I just I, I like you know, up all night. I love I love the song. I know it it. <laughs> these guys don't like it, but hey, I mean it's my list, so y'all can take it and go home. Um, Played it a lot, you know, when it came out. Uh, Fly to the Angels. I, I actually wasn't, you know, a big fan of that, but uh, I, I, I still could probably listen to that one right now. Yeah. That's another one I could probably burning, listen to. Burning Bridges is a great song, but uh, <laughs> anyway, man, I'm getting, I'm getting. You guys should see it. I'm getting killed, man. <laughs> I'm getting killed. Uh, any, well, you know what? We'll just move on to something. No, else. listen. No, no, no. no we're no, not guys, doing listen. that. We're not doing that. Trust hey, me. I have some on my list that if we get there, if we decide, I, I, I want to stay on this one, honey. I want to stick with you on this. Listen, no, no pun intended. I no, want to stick with but, you. No, let me, let me, let me back up because because I'm I'm part of the one chuckling over here. Here's the deal. I can remember when I was a kid and this album came out. I can vividly, vividly remember in Jackson, oh, Mississippi, man, I love that cover too, laying in my grandma's. You know, guest bed when we were staying with them me I borrowed from the neighbor across the street he had a bunch of heavy metal cassettes and he was like hey man have you heard this band Slaughter and I remember thinking like oh that's gonna be heavy no I remember think I was thinking Slayer oh, I'm like okay. I'm like yeah I think I, th- I think I've heard of them I mean I was young and he let me borrow this and I remember listening to it in my Walkman cassette that night laying at my grandma's house and I remember mad about you up all night uh, what was the ballad? Um, Fly to the Angels. Fly to the Angels. I remember sitting there thinking, this this is the best stinking band in the world. This is unbelievable. Listen, I, I, I loved that album when I was a kid. I think now, for me, I struggle a little bit um, enjoying Mark Slaughter's vocals a little bit now. Um, it, it's a good album. I, I, I'm kidding with you, and I'm I'm poking fun. And there's numerous things on my list if we get to them that you can easily return the favor for me. That's a good album. I, it, 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 I want to. I, I, I thought Bloss Elias. Am I saying that right? Bla, I, I thought he was a killer drummer. We made fun of him a bit, but let's let's um let's take aside a little bit more because I said spend my life and mad about you, and I'm looking at the track listing because it's been a while since I've listened to this record, but. Desperately, that's a good tune. That's a great hook. That's a really good tune. Yeah. Gave me your heart. I always loved that one. I thought that was a good tune. Yeah. Look, there are stuff. I mean, and, and I'm like Caden. When I was a kid, I loved Burning Bridges was a good track. Mm-hmm. I love, I, I love, I love this record. I really did. It, it falls into a little bit more in the category like Firehouse, where it's a little bit tougher because of vocally to listen to. Yeah, it's definitely dated, but. I can still appreciate a lot of those songs. I used to listen to it from point A to point B, every single song, and I didn't need to skip. I have a little bit more trouble doing that now, but I still, some of these songs, Spend My Life, if that comes on Hair Nation, not only am I not skipping it, I'm turning it out. Yeah. So. How about how about, how about about Winging It, if that comes on? I don't even remember that track. Well, this looks like this is a, I'm, people were looking on the phone trying to remember yeah, some of these tracks. Yeah, we're looking at the track list. And so, is that a bonus track? It's got to be because they have Flight of the Angels as acoustic okay, version. Okay, because I, I don't remember winging. It's, it's yeah. got to be. But you know what? I'm going to, again, yeah. we're going to go back to like supporting you. That was like, <laughs> that was a big, what this is about is like what kind of that whole era we came through and how that hit us and impacted us. And I will say, 
this one hit me like a ton of bricks. Well, they were one of the more successful of that third wave. And again, that cover yeah. as a like like middle school kid with the hot chick. Uh, yeah, I love on the that carnival cover. board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, it was Kriller. All right, so we'll roll off a of slaughter. Uh, Kaiten's the next one. Yeah, so. so so my next pick, guys, is Slaughter the Wildlife. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Although that wasn't a bad idea. I didn't guys. like that album. I didn't either. So I'll tell you what. So my pick, I'm going to catch both you guys off guard here. I, I feel like I am. So I'm going to go a little deeper. So listen, it's easy for me. Dio, Holy Diver. Um, so... You <laughs> tell everybody that you're holding up a uh, album that uh, Ronnie James Dio signed to you. I, I I am I am I saw Ronnie. This was in Shawze, Illinois, when I saw him. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, it's it's a cool deal. So this album, this was their debut album. This was Dio's debut album. So Dio's rolling out of Black Sabbath, right? He picks up. Is Campbell on there? Vivian? Oh, Vivian Campbell. This was his inaugural. So you got Vinny Apice, who was also Carmen Apice's brother, if you know them. Both of them are stellar drummers. He would say drummers. Carmine a piece. Yeah, which one does say a piece? It's is uh, it, it's Carmine. It, okay. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Uh, they they argue, pronounce it different ways. Yeah, they argue about it. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, but, but sorry, one of ahead. them says apathy. One of them says, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Jimmy Bain, um, great Recently album, died. 1983. Let me tell you guys, I said this about Striper. Um, this is not glam rock. Okay, this is heavy metal. This is heavy metal. Period. This album, Holy Diver, Gypsy. Uh, Rainbow in the Dark. This is a metal album. Vivian Campbell was 21 years old when this came out. He was a kid. He did three albums with Dio. He did this, he did Last in Line, and then he did the third album, Sacred Heart, and then he could handle no more. Him and uh, um, Ronnie had a toxic relationship, unfortunately. And they and he went. They went to the. He went to the grave. Yeah, that that was not on good terms with them. Yeah, no, it was it was a it was a rough deal. Interestingly enough, Vivian Campbell, when he's not, he's been with Def Leppard for. I mean, he was Steve Clark's replacement in Def Leppard. So what is that? My gosh, ninety one, ninety two, ninety two. Yeah, you know, but he has just recently, um, since since Ronnie's death, not when he was alive, but he is playing with uh, Vinny, and it was it's called Jim, Last in Line, it was, right? It was Jimmy Bain he before died he on passed the away. Rock cruise, yeah. um, but he's playing in Last in Line, and uh, you know it's it's kind of an odd dynamic because I've heard him interviewed, and it's like he he'll at times discount his time in Dio, and then he's he'll he'll follow it up with playing with Vinny and Jimmy were some of the best musical moments of my life. So like I think it was just that relationship. Um, it just it just didn't didn't work between those mm-hmm. two. But this album, um, I mean, it's incredible. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't have this when I was a kid. I should say, um, I, I I would not have had this when I was a kid. Yeah, just the cover the, alone, the album cover would have scared me. But they had their mascot, whose name was Murray. So he's the equivalent of Eddie for Iron Maiden, demonic looking figure. He's got a chain, and you know, there's there's uh, he's casting. Uh, Casting this guy into the sea that I won't I won't uh, mention, but it, it was not a uh, somewhat of a sacrilegious type type uh, album cover. But it's funny I've heard Ronnie James Dio say, um, "Don't judge a book by its cover," because it just as easily could have been this guy that was you know slaying the the demon Murray on the album cover. But I'm not quite sure of that. But anyway, incredible album, 1983. So this is early stuff, guys. 
I mean, this is early, early stuff. Um, I loved this album. I did I saw, too. I saw I Dio too. in concert. He was one of the best vocalists live. I mean, on on, on album, he's one of the best vocalists. But live, he was one of the best vocalists that I've ever seen. Um, I met him that night. He was a true gentleman in the 20 seconds that I that I met him. Uh, Dio, Holy Diver. I love this album. It's heavy metal. It's not glam. It's on the list. Um, it's a rocker, guys. Yeah, I love uh, Rainbow in the Dark. What? And I love Holy Diver. But I like that record and that song, Holy Diver. is so mm-hmm. cool. And by the way, one of the better covers that's been done in a long time is Kill Switch Engage covering Holy Diver. It's so heavy, and it's just awesome. Um, I want to just real quick, since we are since we are on something that's a little less glam and more metal, we'll just, we won't spend a lot of time on this because I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but I'm going to go with the debut from Wasp. Um, I think they kind of fit into the vein of the Dio. Um, their look was more like Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. It had more of that, it was that dark imagery. It, it was glam, but it wasn't... It certainly wasn't Pretty Boy, and it wasn't Bubblegum. It was dark, and the record was more of a metal record. Um, this was released in 1984. I would still, I would consider this first wave of the glam bands. Um, you know, when it first came out, the um, one of the main songs on it, Animal, and it had in parentheses, Blank Like a Beast. Yeah. Um, that was not they pulled that from I guess it was Capital they pulled that from the album because of the PMRC you know that was Tipper Gore and all the other people that were out against the wanting to put the parental advisories onto the albums uh, this was one of the ones that was this, this song was considered one of the filthy 15 and so they left it off of the album and then Wasp ended up releasing it independently in Europe the single Animal and then later, when they re-released it, they were able to put it. They were able to put in a 1998 reissue. They put it back on the album. Um, this album is uh, again, like Caden was talking about Dio. This is more of a metal record. It's. Uh, I, I love the record. Um, I want to be somebody. Love Machine. Um, Sleeping in the Fire. It sounds like a ballad, but it's certainly very, very dark. It's not happy. Um, Hellion. It's a great, great record. Hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely, at the time, were more infamous than, than anything else. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, th- correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they used to throw raw meat into the yes. audience? Yes, yes. So I think they kind of got overshadowed by the uh, the shock of everything. Well, Blackie was... wanted to be Alice Cooper. Yeah. There's no doubt. Blackie Lawless wanted to be Alice Cooper, which, by the way, people, if you don't know, Blackie Lawless is a Christian and will not play Animal Live in certain songs. Kind of right. like how Dave Mustaine of Megadeth won't play right. certain songs and, live. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, the last album of his, uh, Golgotha, got great reviews. It's a great, great record. I know Kate's familiar with that as well. Mm-hmm. But, God, it's a good record. Wasp is a good, good band that I think sometimes people think about the theatrics. And they forget about the music. Or they think about the infamous Chris Holmes interview from uh, 
decline of Western Oh, man, that I watched that last week. Did, did you actually see that he's redone that interview? Yeah, I've heard about that. He yeah. reshot that interview. He's in a pool. Is he in a pool? His mom's not there, but he's in a pool, and they ask he's him. He's probably still pouring vodka on himself. No, no, I think no, he's clean. he's sober. He's sober. He doesn't seem clean. And it, what's, really, what's really, it's kind of cool, and it's kind of corny. They... They ask him the exact same questions that they ask him on the decline of Western civilization, and it's it it was kind of neat in a way to hear his responses now because some of them were night and day different. Now he's clean now, or he claims to be clean, um, but he was floating in a pool, and they asked him the same. It was kind of kind of interesting, yeah. Yep. All right. So since I got made fun of on my last one, I'm going to get made fun of again. But I'm going to go ahead and get it. Maybe not. I'm I'm getting made fun of. Uh, I'm going to get this one out of the way, uh, and I don't care what anybody else's opinion is on it. The second album by Winger, In the Heart of the Young. Uh, I love the album. Um, Easy Come, Easy Go, uh, You Are the Saint, I Am the Sinner, Rainbow and the Rose, um, Miles Away, Can't Get Enough, uh, Under One Conditions, a great, great ballad. That's a great album. and, you know, they get made fun of a lot because of uh, the chubby kid on uh, Beavis and Stewart. Bowhead, Stewart. And then, you know, famously in the Metallica video, they're throwing darts at Kip Winger. And I'm not saying all that's not justified. They didn't bring that on themselves. But I was recently listening to an interview with Bo Hill, the producer of the album. And he said, hands down, the best musicians he's ever recorded are Winger. And he said, there's nobody close to them. Is that right? Yeah. He yeah. said, they're the greatest group of musicians. Yeah. Um, and you know, loosen up, boy. That was a up. killer yeah. track. You know, and the the thing is, that first album was definitely uh, a lot more glam and not quite as serious. But there's some there's some serious songs on here. Rainbow and the Rose and the Land will, and the Day We'll Never See. Um, those are serious songs. And you know, their their third album I could have very easily put on here. Pull, uh, which is really a lot more of a serious. And John Roth is a Memphis boy. Yeah, uh, a lot more of a serious album. Um, but uh, this one is great. I actually like it better than the, the debut album of theirs. And mainly went with it because I think more people were familiar with it. The poll had uh, Down Incognito, I guess, was the hit off of it. But uh, I, I love the album. I think they unfairly get uh, get made fun of and are given a hard time. But you know they're still they're still putting out new material. And uh, matter of fact. Kip Winger was just nominated for a Grammy for a uh, classical album. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I yeah. saw that. So he is, I mean, he is, you know, very, and Reb Beach has been in, you know, White Snake He's for a, great a long player. time. He's great a great guitar player. player. And, and I remember when I saw them years ago, I was at a, uh, I went to a music store and he did a guitar clinic. And I remember him talking about, they were on the tour bus when um, somebody brought in Beavis and Butthead. And showed them Stewart with a winger shirt on. They're like, oh God. They knew that was not good. Yeah. But um, no, I'm not a winger fan. And I'm going to turn this over to Caton after one point. Even though I'm not a winger fan, Miles Away, one of the better ballads. One of the better of the guitar era. solos, yeah. That is a great, great ballad. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's funny. Every, everybody has opinions, right? You know, it's funny. So, so, so I am a winger fan. Are they my favorite man of the genre? No. Um, I like winger. It's funny you say that. You know, Miles Away, not even on my radar as far as a top ballad of the genre. Not Wouldn't even make my top 20 list. It's funny. People are different. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I'm sitting here looking at the first Winger album and the second one, you know. 
Uh, I, I would absolutely agree with you, David. In the Heart of the Young would be my choice. I'm going to tell you what. Looking at this first Winger album, though, Madeline, Hungry, Time to Surrender, Headed for a Heartbreak. Purple Haze. Purple Haze. I mean, th- that was a solid album mm-hmm. as well. Winger was uh, Winger was kind of guilty by association. You know what I mean? As far as associated with Beavis and Butthead. I, I think that, uh, that hurt them. I think there's times Kip Winger didn't do himself favors, and I think you know. Posing and Playgirl. Yeah, some of those type things. And look at that; she's only 17. Video. But but you know, Rod Morgenstein. I mean, guys. I mean, he was the drummer for the Dixie Drags right. before Winger was even a you know a, a Steve uh, Morse's band. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable drummer, jazz infused drummer. Reb Beach, as you say, plays with White Snake. He's incredible. Paul Taylor's an insane keyboardist. He plays in Time Kiefer solo band now. He also still plays in Winger. Um, I think this is a great album. Um, you know, it would not have made my list, but I sit here and look at the track listing and you hear you talk about it, and it, it makes me wonder why it wouldn't have made my list because it's it's a great album. Yep, winger. All right, guys, I'm going to have to make an executive decision here. I think here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the table one more time, and then we're about to run out of recording okay. space. And what we're going to do is we're going to come back uh, in a month or two uh, if Caton would would like to, and we're gonna keep going because I I'm not lying. I think we could do six hours. Let, so why don't we do this? Because we only have a few albums, we could still go back and discuss more. Let's rapid fire a few. Like Caton goes, okay. and he'll name three or four quick bullet points if he wants to on him. We yeah. don't we don't chime in, and we go one round. We just go around the table. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Right, we let's got, do that. We've so, got 13 minutes left. Okay. So okay, so it's clearly, guys, a cardinal absolute sin that none of us have mentioned Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. It's are on my you, list. Are you kidding me? It's on my list. Appetite for Destruction, July 21st, 1987, Geffen Records. What, what can you say about this album that hasn't already been said? Not much, so I'm not even going to try. Okay? The incredible album, Paved the Way. Um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Um, I'll move on. Quiet Riot, Metal Health. I love this album. It's a special album to me. I always, always, always loved Kevin Dubrow. I loved his vocals. Uh, I'm a drummer myself. I loved Frankie Benali when I was a kid. He's a solid drummer to this day. Um, You know, to this day, I'm so, so happy. I went and saw Quiet Riot in Nashville, Tennessee about three months before Kevin passed away. I almost didn't do it. It was a work night, etc. I'm so glad that I got to to see him. This thing went six-time platinum, guys. Six times platinum. This was the first album that ever topped the Billboard charts. The first heavy metal album that ever topped the Billboard charts. Metal Health, Bang Your Head, Come On, Feel the Noise, The Slade Cover, Slick Back Cadillac. I mean, a great, great album. Uh, Saigon Kick, The Lizard. That's right, Saigon Kick. Maybe not glam, maybe they are glam. I don't know, you decide. I'm going to put them on the list. The Lizard, 1992. This was an incredible album. Um, You know, Matt Kramer was the lead vocalist. Just a beast of an album. Love is on the way is the track you're going to know. It was a ballad. In fact, when I graduated high school, this was the prom theme song uh, for my senior year prom. Forget about that song. Hostile Youth uh, was an incredible song. Mrs. Jones. Um, so many songs on this on this album were, were great. I mean, 
really quickly, guys, I sent you guys a text earlier today and said, hey, do me one favor for tonight. If you haven't heard these Saigon Kick tracks, check them out. I mean, what, what what's your 20-second you know, view of those songs you listened to? Maybe you had heard some of them before. I'll tell you what I said earlier. They were kind of like a Mr. Big. Their ballad was not a power ballad, and I think that's what people equate them to, is their love song, because it wasn't even a power ballad. But you put on the album, and it rocks. I mean, it, it is good. I liked it. Yep. Yeah, I think they were... Uh, I think glam people would listen to it back in the day and say that's grunge, and grunge people would listen to it and say that's glam. They were they were kind of on that cu- confusing cusp, David. Right. You're right. I mean, in fact, I mean they, yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. I mean, I almost feel like at that time they could have hopped on Skid Row, Slave to the Grind tour opening up, or they could have hopped on Alice in Chains yeah. tour opening up. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I'll stop there, man. To give you okay. guys, I could, I would, okay. I would love to hop back uh, in the oh, studio with yeah. you guys and do another, another uh, sure. continuation of this. Well, let me just go. I'm, I'm going to second Caton with uh, Guns N' Roses' "Appetite for Destruction." I also want to bring up a somebody who doesn't like to be considered glam, but sorry, Mr. John Bon Jovi, you were glam, and New Jersey is my pick. Yeah, I know Caden told him slippery when wet, and that's, <laughs> that, that's a great one too. But 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 um, New Jersey, stick to your guns. I'll be there for you. Um, wild is the wind. I even love that int- that little intro with that oh, ride cowboy ride. Wild is lay the your wind. hands on me. One of the greatest intros of all it's, time. It's, it's, it's a great it's a great great record. Um, going yeah. a little bit more. One wild, of the, wild is the wind. What a song. Another one of the more mainstream acts. Tesla. I went with Psychotic Supper. I almost went Mechanical Resonance. But I went Psychotic Supper. I think this is their best one. Um, Mechanical Resonance had great, great tunes. But Psychotic Supper was their best, most well-rounded record. Um, Let's see. Wrapping up, I do have two a little bit more obscure. Won't spend a lot of time on them, but they deserve mentioning. One is going to be Lillian Axe. They were format. They were a New Orleans band. I know Caton's fist pumping here. We nice. have we have a great story we could tell about this. Nice. We'll save it for another time. But um, Ron Taylor is a very very underappreciated vocalist. You know he, he's not quite Sebastian, but he's not far off. He though. may not be that far off. The album is Psycho Schizophrenia. Say that ten times in a row. There is a ballad on there called "The Day I Met You." And it's more along the lines of more than words by extreme. There's nothing power about this. It's beautiful, beautiful singing. And that guy was a great vocalist. Lillian Axe, Psycho Schizophrenia. Check that album out. And then finally, I know another one Caton would have on here would be Kit Tracy. Um, again, they fell a little bit too late. It was released in 1991. Um Interesting fact, their singer did audition for Velvet Revolver. And if you look at that documentary, you will see that they're kind of goofing on him because the lyrics he added to a song, some music they gave him, he came up with a song called Stripper Girl. And um, it wasn't very cool. But um, anyway, he was a great great singer. It was a great, great album. Dana Strum of Slaughter produced it. Uh, They were definitely more of the third wave of glam bands. But um, You're So Strange, that chorus... Uh, Big Western Sky, the ballad, yep. Don't Need Rules, the cover, Mrs. Robinson, Simon Garfunkel. Super quick. Did you ever, have you ever thought about this analogy? 
I always thought Kit Tracy was a little bit bang tango ish. They Absolutely. were different. They, they were, were different. They, they were, were different not straight and they were up very musical. They they were good musicians. They had a little bit of the funk aspect, not not as much as bang tango, but but you you feel that same way. Yes, I mean, kind of. Yep. Kit Tracy, no rules. Check that record yeah, do out. Do yourself it a favor. Awesome. All right, so wrap us up. Chris, uh, Chris took uh, several albums. I was going to mention Bon Jovi, New Jersey. Uh, when I think of arena rock, that's that's an arena rock album um, as as it gets. Um, I had Tesla Psychotic Supper. It's my favorite Tesla album. There are a lot of good songs on the first two albums. Uh, this one I thought was their most mature effort. A song that I never hear anybody talk about that I absolutely love off that is a song called Stir It Up. Absolutely love that song. It's song t- and emotion. Song and emotion about Steve Clark yeah. from Def Leppard. Um, what you give? Freedom Ed- Edison's Freedom Medicine. Sl- Edison's oh Medicine. Oh my gosh! Man, Man out of time. It's a great Woo! record. Edison's Medicine. I mean, you'll get a so speed good. ticket if you have that on your car because yeah. you know you're wide open. Um, one that nobody has brought up that uh, gonna hard be hard pressed finding a more talented backing band. That's the solo album from first solo album from David Lee Roth, Eat 'Em and Smile, uh, Yankee Rose, Tobacco Road. Caton's um, <laughs> uh, holding up a Europe album. Uh, that's actually not a bad album. Um, you know, Shy Boy. Of course, you had Steve Vai and uh, Billy Sheehan on that. And yeah, that's, that, that is a band right there. Yeah, rumor rumor is that they're you know going to try to do a tour with those guys. Um, and then one that nobody has brought up, but one of the biggest albums of all time, Def Leppard Hysteria. Uh, top to bottom, I love it. Gets a lot of negativity because it's a little too slick, a little too polished. But uh, literally, an album with I think seven singles on it, and one of the uh, best-selling albums um, of all time. Well, I think that last one. Yeah. Let's not forget, as Caden's given this to me, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. That deserves an honorable mention. It does. Yeah. That's a great, great record. SMF, the ballad. The price, and then the of course price. you got I Want to Rock, and, and Kate in this Burning Hell is White, great. White Snake self-titled. It's hard not to mention that. Right, I'm sorry. Right, John Sykes on that. You, you need to wrap this up because we can yeah. go for another three anyway, hours so, another time. So what we're going to do is we're going to meet again in the future. Uh, hopefully, we'll have Kate on semi-regularly uh, if he's willing to do it because uh, this has been the quickest two hours and 56 minutes. I mean, Oh, my God. We're at three hours? Yeah, we're at three hours. So anyway... Uh, to wrap us up, Caton, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, I think everybody's going to love listening uh, to you talk about this. Uh, you're definitely our expert in this area. And um, the, there's a couple of guests we may have on in the future. And uh, when we do that, Caton, uh, there's people that you know of. Caton is going to hopefully sit in with us on those. Um, so. Hope I to, love it. Yeah, these, thank these, you. Are, these are these are musicians we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, musicians, not people like us. Yeah, not people like us. These are people with actual talent. Uh, <laughs> anyway, before I, we go, I do want to thank you again, Caton. Yeah, thank you guys on. for the opportunity lots, to sit in. I appreciate it. Lots of fun. Follow us on uh, Twitter at Digital Killed. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, Digital Killed the Radio Star. Subscribe via iTunes. Um, and if you listen to this whole thing, you are, you are a true fan because it's three hours long. But we loved every minute of it. And we will see you again next week.